Welcome back to the Video Store Junkies, a podcast about movies and the experience of watching them. And tonight, we're going to take a little trip. We're in the video store, but we're going to take a trip beyond the video store. No, we're not going to take a trip into outer space. In fact, we're going to do the exact opposite. We're going to take a trip into inner space. In the basement of one of the country's leading medical schools, Dr. Edward Jessup, candidate for a Nobel Prize, is conducting the most dangerous experiment in the history of science, and the subject of the experiment is himself. Ask him what kind of an experience I can expect. That's right. Tonight we're not talking about the movie Inner Space. I, I hope I figured you out there. No, we're actually talking about <laughs> 19 Ken Russell's 1980 film Altered States. I'm Zachary Edgerton, and as always, I am joined by some of my favorite co-hosts in podcasting. And we're gonna kind of uh, dissect this film, talk a little bit about its history, and uh, talk about what the hell, <laughs> try to figure out what the hell it's about. So let's get right to it. So I'm actually going to start normally, you know, we go around and we talk about our kind of history and relationship with this film. And normally I go last. I'm going to go first this time because I'm going to be short and sweet because I had actually not seen this film until uh, about three days ago, which was the first time I'd ever seen it. Now, I do kind of have a uh, video store like story about this movie kind of because I actually remember seeing this movie in the video store and you know, it's got the uh, the it was the cover with mm-hmm. uh, William Hurt. You know, he's got like the, uh, the 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 wires and stuff attached to his head, and that was in the science fiction section. And you know, I remember seeing it a lot when I was a kid. But when you're 13 and you're in the science fiction section, and all the video covers have like laser beams and the spaceships yeah. and lightsabers and stuff, uh, that was pretty much the the most boring <laughs> VHS. Uh, uh, the <laughs> least marketable. I don't know what they were thinking. <laughs> So yeah, so uh, I yeah I had I had skipped it and then I think uh, I think I actually remember like my my other experiences with this film is over the years you know I've I've known Bill for uh, quite a quite a while now and I know that he's mentioned this film a couple times over the years and he's actually the one who recommended that we do it for this episode so I'm gonna look forward to his thoughts on that so let's actually though save him for last and we're gonna introduce our other co-host first. And uh, if you guys could just kind of introduce yourself and uh, yeah, tell us tell us your history with this film. Let's start with Renee. Well, hello, uh, I'm Renee, <laughs> and uh, so it's really funny. I have a very similar sentiment to you, where it's like you just kind of remember seeing this, you know, in the in the video store, but it's you just really didn't pay any mind to it. It's like, well, that is just not something I'm really compelled by, um, and. It uh, so yeah, it's one of those things that I pretty much forgot about my entire life, and that's about it. Until Bill brought it up, and I thought, oh, maybe I should watch this. So I watched it, and that and it's crazy. And <laughs> then I and then it, there was a vote on uh, the other podcast that Bill does with those other guys. Yeah. Uh, was it for decades of horror? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there was a vote and I was so sad. I voted for you guys to cover this movie because I know you like it. And of course, Mm -hmm. it did not win. Uh, So I just I knew we had to do it here. You were sad. Just see the choices we had. And the winner was Night of the Comet. I like what? I was a little bit bummed about that. I know I was almost going to be like, should I vote? Like, should I 
log in with alternate accounts just so we can get this to win. <laughs> Protest, um, please, next time. Right? But selfishly, I thought, well, now we can do it on our podcast. So, ha, 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 ha. Yeah. That's my history of this movie. <laughs> Very cool. Bill Mulligan-centric. <laughs> yeah. Wow, I hope you guys like this, because clearly this is 100% my fault if you did. Oh, 100%, yeah. <laughs> I'm actually now I actually want to do Night of the Comet at some point because I actually watched it like just the other week and I was like this isn't as good as I remember it but it's also not no. that bad but I but I but I remember Bill <laughs> I remember you always every time someone mentions that you just kind of roll your eyes so anyways well, yeah, to, to make it worse so the last one we did was um, Dreamscape which I picked because I remember really liking it and it's another one that I don't think has held up oh, as yeah. well as it should mm. but unfortunately something went wrong. And we have to re-record it on Monday. <laughs> oh boy! And no. and the, the the because the movie itself didn't really you know reach me the way I was hoping it would. The best part of the whole podcast was all the riffs and jokes and stuff we did, which we now have to recreate. And that's that's never going to work. It, you can you know that was terrific. That spontaneity was terrific. Do it again ten times. You know like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I'm okay. I'm a I count myself lucky. I have not screwed up yet, and had uh, we haven't had to re-record uh, like a whole episode, or we haven't had like uh, you know technical difficulties to that extent. So, uh, but I'm sure it will happen at some point, and I'm yeah, sure it will be on an episode, of a movie that we all hate. So that'll be exciting. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. uh, let's worry, let's move let's move wood. on. <laughs> oh, sorry, what's that, Renee? I said, don't worry, I just knocked on wood. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Um, let's move on. And speaking of things that haven't held up very well, Paul, uh, why don't you introduce yourself? And <laughs> I'm just, I'm sorry, I'm being mean. <laughs> Paul, no. who are you? And do you have any history, any more history than Renee or I do with this film? <laughs> why, yes. So uh, I'm Paul, Paul Cardulo, and uh, I'll take you back to 1979, 1980 when this was coming out. I was 12, 13. Um, I was a burgeoning marine biologist I eventually got my degree in marine biology that's why I work in computers now um and uh I had all sorts of books on it and one of the books I had was uh John C. Lilly's I think it's like Man and Dolphin and hmm. I read yeah, most of it parts of it um and uh, bought a little into his kind of woo um mm -hmm. And then I remember seeing the trailers for this and, and to be honest I didn't make the connection I was just like oh wow something else involving you know uh, sensory deprivation tanks. And I'm like, that looks really cool. Oh, neat. And then I didn't see it. I didn't see it in the theaters. I don't recall the first time I saw it, whether I saw it on TV with a, you know, a TV cut, which would have had to cut out, you know, they just have to zoom in a lot since, you know, the two main cast members are naked for a significant part of the film. But um, the, if it was that, or I, I think I just maybe watched it on, on VHS, probably when I was in college. And um, I, I liked it. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I, I took it for what it was. And then it's interesting because coming back and rewatching it, I don't think I had watched it since then. And I, I'm a big Ken Russell fan. I love Ken Russell stuff. I love his particular brand of weirdness and campiness. So it was interesting to come back and, and rewatch this. And uh, much like I did with the, um, the video game movies where I felt that it was best experienced and talked about while um, hopped up on sugary cereals. I think this film, and pretty much any Ken Russell film really, is best mm. when you're hopped up on shrooms and floating it in a, um, in a, in a uh, isolation tank. Um, mm. Unfortunately, uh, I don't have an isolation tank, and the only shrooms I have are Baby Bella portobello mushrooms. So I've got my tub here filled up with, uh, with um, Morton salt and warm water I'm floating in it, and I've just mm. eaten about a pound of portobello mushrooms and... Uh, so that's that's Ooh. how I'm experiencing this right now. So uh, there you go. 
I'm really, really glad that this is not a uh, a video podcast at this yeah, point. Yeah, me too. You're going to need to scrub that tub with some chlorine bleach when this is over. Especially after consuming a pound of portobello. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. Yeah, that's whoosh. Oh, boy. Uh, well, <laughs> let's let's move on to, uh, last but definitely not least, the, the man who is responsible for us talking about this movie tonight. Uh, Bill, why don't you give us a little bit of your history? And I uh, usually you roll your eyes when you when I use the term relationship, but you said that you yeah. do have a relationship with this movie. So uh, tell us all about that. This yeah, this movie is is a time travel thing for me because watching it again as I did just a couple days ago totally took me back. And although it's literally been decades since I've watched the whole thing, I knew uh, Shauna was like you know this irritates her. But I knew every line. I knew every line. Which and there's a freaking lot of lines in this um that's impressive like it just it just came back to me i don't remember what i had for lunch yesterday but yeah it's 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 weird this this is one of those films that hit me at the right time i saw it at a time when it was going to worm its way into my brain and stay there and so i would have been in college now and i can really relate to the characters in this film especially and then a couple couple years later probably the second time i saw it was in grad school where i rented it on videotape and that totally sealed the deal because grad school was the people in grad school were like this it's a unique situation you're surrounded by people who are smart because otherwise they wouldn't be in grad school they know they're smart which is a double-edged sword and it's you're, you're cooperating with each other but you're also competing with each other mm. so you know you're there because of at least someone's perception that you're intelligent. You're around a whole lot of other people that are also managed to con everyone into believing that. And being smart suddenly for like the first time in your life, even more than college, is is the currency. It's the coin. And, and so you're trying not to be the dumbest person in the room. <laughs> trying hard. Convinced that you are because, you know, imposter syndrome was a thing even back then, mm-hmm. just didn't have a name for it. And uh, hoping desperately they wouldn't find out that the you know admissions people made a terrible mistake. You're you're doing high tech stuff. You're you know okay. So you, everyone's trying to be witty. Everyone's trying to be as smart as the Algonquin Round Table and everything. At the same time, we are drinking like freaking fish. It's like it's like a, a, an entry in the Thin Man series where everyone's got a, an alcoholic beverage in one hand and probably a cigarette or a second alcoholic beverage in the other hand. But alcohol goes into the mix. All these people trying to be clever and smart, and they're drunk, which doesn't really help. Um, yeah, great time. So the, this nonsensical dialogue, this, this ridiculous dialogue that Chayevsky puts in this film, totally sounded realistic to me. You know, and and the fact and the fact that they're they're saying it at this breakneck speed, faster than they can even think about what they're actually saying, it really took me back. Um, now it's. <laughs> It's a weird environment. And that also rang true for me. It's like I can totally believe after being married to this lunatic for a couple of years. Uh, the most unrealistic, the most science fiction thing about this film is that he's the one who wants the divorce. I mean, you know, come on. Blair Brown. Blair Brown is Kim Kardashian in this film. I don't know why everyone is so, you know, they're watching this train wreck that's going to end horribly with amusement because, like, you can totally see what's happening here. The, the same thing that makes some of these these guys who are very brilliant and very bright, what makes them attractive also makes you want to get the hell away from them once the novelty is worn off. It's exhausting. 
it's exhausting being around them. They can't enjoy life because they're thinking greater things and da 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 da. So shut up and get a cat or something. You know, <laughs> See, just... Bill, you knew much much different people in grad school than I did. I was, <laughs> we we were you know people who were counting uh, fish larvae and uh, quite quite a different personality. There were there was you know. <laughs> <laughs> where I went. We were microbiologists. I mean, the, the oh, yeah. nerd, uber nerds. No, we, we we were the we were the the fish biologist who took over an old reproductive biology lab, which let me tell you, when we had to clean that out, oh my god, there were things mm. in there that uh, it was amazing because you know when you're doing reproductive biology on sheep, you have specialized tools, and those were things we didn't want to run into. So. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I look back on it, it's such a crazy time. And the fact that they, they left, they gave us the responsibility that we totally had not earned someone and no one ever admitted who and it wasn't me. I think the statute of limitations would be up. So I'd admit it. Someone had a cent. There's a centrifuge that would spin. I'm thinking <laughs> the number that's in my head is 3200 times per second. I think we'll all admit that's pretty fast. You know, so it's spinning, it's spinning down blood samples to make the DNA show up in a certain spot. I mean, this thing is moving fast. You've got to balance this like your life depends on it. Because it does. Because at 3,200 spins per second, if it gets unbalanced, it becomes a cannonball. And indeed it did. <laughs> Someone let it centrifuge during the night. At some point in the night, it fell and was still spinning at that speed hit the bottom of the centrifuge and then winged out like a cannonball went th like embedded into a concrete wall. If anyone had oh been there, God. they would have been, oh, would have been master and commander. You know, it just went through whatever was there. Flesh would not stop it, not for a second. And then nobody fessed up to it. So yeah, there was a lot of stuff like that. We were working with ridiculous, even the glassware was expensive. Everything, you know, was just ah, crazy. Oh yeah, but, They were letting so, you pump, uh, pump seawater through a, a brand yeah. new NMR by myself right. at two o'clock in the morning. And this, this is a guy who ended up, I ended up trashing my major, <laughs> my, my, my major professor's computer that same night. Oh. So, yeah. That would have been <laughs> like the on, Commodore 12 or something at that time. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, you should have had backups. Yeah. That, that didn't go fly very well. He didn't oh. like me. <laughs> no. He, and of course, he could have backed up everything on a floppy disk, which boys and girls were actually floppy back then, ergo the name floppy disk. But I realize now that they don't even know what an unfloppy disk is. So. No. <laughs> All right, right. Shall we get back to the movie, though? Back to the but, movie. So, but actually, but yeah, no, I'm, point, actually, though, actually, I'm actually going to turn this into a Tales from Grad School featuring Paul and Bill. <laughs> Man. Well, yeah, I, I, well that yeah. was one of the things that, that I mean, I want to just jump right into because, Bill, you already hit like several points that I thought were interesting. Sure. That that dialogue from, from Patty Chayefsky, apparently um, Ken Russell hated it, and that's why he oh, had yeah. them like talk over each other. But yes. it came across, like you said, so real. It actually had like a Robert Altman it's, it's kind what, of. Yes. Yeah. And, and it was yeah. also. Let's. Uh, sorry, sorry to butt oh, in. Yeah. Let, okay, let's let's uh, save that we're, for just a minute. Uh, we're sorry. getting away okay, from sure. the structure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we'll oh yeah, yeah, sorry. yeah. And if you know, if there's one thing I need, it's structure. That's that's uh, <laughs> right. my mom told me. So um, let's. So, so to, long story short, this movie really speaks to me of a certain time. And so, although I will be the first to tell you, it is utterly ridiculous. It it is a movie that um, I genuinely love, and and love love is a mysterious thing. You don't always love what you should. There's, there's, there are always better things that you should love, but that's not the way it goes. So, you know, if I had to pick, if I had to pick, like these are the best movies I've ever seen. Altered States is pretty low on the list. It's not low because I've seen a lot of crap. It's, but it's, not, it's, it's not breaking any top tens or top twenties anytime soon. But if I'm talking about movies that I unreservedly love, 
definitely top 20 and probably, you know, breathing down the neck of some of the top 10. Right. There's a difference sometimes between best films and favorite films. So Sure. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Well, <laughs> don't I know it? <laughs> <laughs> Renee is like, that's a that's a Venn diagram where the uh, the circles don't touch. Uh, <laughs> so you're, you're you're basically saying, Bill, your relationship with this film is similar to um, what uh, um, you know the main character's relationship. You know, she shouldn't love him, but she does. Right. 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 Yes. Yeah. And 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 by love, uh, here's the definition of a film I love. If I'm like, if I were flicking through channels back when you had channels and you had to watch a movie when it came on and, you know, if you didn't start at the right time, tough titties. Um, if, if I'm, if I were doing that and at any point this movie's there, I can start watching it. I can fill in the rest. Uh, whatever I've missed, I haven't really missed it. It's there lodged in my brain and I know exactly I can pick it up. There's only a few movies like that. Galaxy Quest, another one, pure love. Um, you know, and that's, yeah. So. Cool. Well, I'm definitely very, very interested to hear your thoughts on uh, some of the aspects of this film. So uh, let's let's jump ahead. And uh, there's just a couple of quick sections before we get into the meat of our conversation. But uh, let's go to our next section, which is a little something I like to call Tale of the Videotape. It's just a couple of stats that I pulled up about this movie just uh, for reference. So this one was released on Christmas Day, December 25th, 1980. This is such a Christmassy film. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Christmas family. Film. Yeah. yeah I mean, kids. Well, to be fair, there is a lot of uh, religious uh, symbolism in this film. So, I mean, it's kind yeah, of Yeah, so, so is the devils. There's a there's a great double feature for the whole family. <laughs> Go the drive and watch Alter State and the Devils. Yeah, bring grandma, bring, you know, yeah. grandpa. Every good fun for the whole family. <laughs> um, this one well, had... I... Oh, sorry. What? Oh, no, I was just going to just... Say you know well they did have the 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 nun from the devils in the uh, Space Jam two oh. movie. So. Oh yeah, there you go. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow oh, man, if only. Yeah. Oh man, they should. She didn't have her crucifix brothers, though. Why wasn't wasn't this movie Warner Brothers? Yeah, that's why. Did they, oh, she man, was. Yeah. I'm I'm not kidding. She literally is no, in no, like this the crowd. Wasn't scenes. Altered States also Warner oh, Brothers? Oh this. Oh, I don't know. I think it was. I think it was. Man, too bad they didn't have like the uh, naked the, Blair the, Brown in. in yeah. In, uh, oh yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, yeah. I'll take that. Or, um, yeah, <laughs> anyways, uh, this one had a a budget of about fifteen million dollars, which apparently ballooned up from uh, closer to twelve million. Had a box office of about twenty million bucks, so it didn't mm -hmm. completely bomb, but apparently it did not meet expectations, which is right. actually kind of interesting, though. Like just the fact that this a movie like this could have done. 20 million dollars which you know adjusted for inflation is is still pretty decent like a movie like this would not even get made these days but it definitely wouldn't do, oh no like you know whatever 50 or 60 million dollars just kind of the ratings i just kind of kind of interested in what the reception of this movie was so i looked up metacritic the kind of contemporary based on contemporary reviews it has a 58 on metacritic and uh, currently he sits at a 6.9 nice on imdb so that's Those, pretty good for IMDb. That is pretty good for IMDb, yeah, yeah especially yeah. for a movie like this. Which how many, how many Rotten Tomatoes did it get? Oh, I did not mm. look up Rotten Tomatoes. I, I prefer Metacritic because yeah, Metacritic I don't blame is, you. Metacritic's more granular, whereas Rotten Tomatoes is just like a binary rotten or fresh, which yeah. I don't know. Anyways. It's the worst. A uh, <laughs> couple of uh, taglines for this movie. This is a, a newer feature. That oh, we here we have. go. <laughs> yeah, but this I have... This is my favorite I, part take... of Decades of Horror when we read the taglines and realize that I went into the wrong line of work. <laughs> yeah. Well, take a deep breath because I think this one is a really long one, doesn't it? Yeah, so mm -hmm. let's do... Uh, there are four of them, 
and uh, the first three are not that great. But uh, so first one is when he heard his own cry for help, it wasn't human. Okay, that's uh, that's fine. That's uh, intriguing. Yeah. Second one is unlock the doorways of your mind if you dare. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Is isn't that isn't that like a, a lyric from some progressive rock band? Maybe Rush. <laughs> Probably. Probably. Yeah. Uh, of the like Kim Crimson King. The isolation chambers. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tagline number three: A daring exploration of a new level of consciousness. Okay, no. um, pretty generic. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. the fourth and um, best, and by best I mean probably the worst tagline <laughs> in the history of film. I believe this was actually on the the one sheet posters uh, when the film was released. This this is the uh, the actual tagline: In the basement of a university medical school, Doctor Jessup floats naked in total darkness. The most terrifying experiment in the history of science is out of control. And the subject is himself. Stop! Wow. <laughs> oh, God. Patty, Patty Chayevsky is like, can you give us like 10, 10 words? No, I'll give you 50. Oh, you print every one of them or I'll sue yeah, you. Yeah, they were contractually obligated to put it on the poster <laughs> verbatim. <laughs> but so, you know, yeah. he, he wow. poured his heart and soul into it and then he died. So oh, That is true. Because they, they looked true. at the poster and they're like, this is an actor that no one knows upside yeah. down. So, yeah. Um, Gonna, what what is this movie about now look i'll give him credit that it's it doesn't give away everything and it's different from the horrifying generic blue and teal you know teal and oh, whatever amber yeah, and blue, teal blue uh and posters orange, blue and orange right yeah, yeah. which it's there's always like there's morgan freeman in the corner even if he's not in the movie it's, it's <laughs> he's in the poster um you know they're they're just awful so okay i'll give him credit but it's it's not visually exciting at all so i guess they felt like they had to put in some dialogue too which it's, also isn't very good it's, it's very it's very artsy it makes me think of like this was a this was like the cover of a criterion release before criterion releases existed right basically now in fairness back then and this is a day that will never come back back then a movie could actually be released and was not expected to you know blow up the box office it could actually spread by word of mouth and, yeah. and, you know, if they felt they had a film that, that had that potential, they could release it and then word would start building and people would look forward to it. I wonder when it's going to come to my theater. And, and by the time it got there and a lot of really great films, like that's how Halloween got out. And, and, you know, that's just how it was. But nowadays, no, you know, they, they know, they know opening night before someone's even bought a ticket, whether the movie's a bomb or not, and they start yanking advertising. So yeah. something like this would, they would have to, Splooge all kinds of ads and stuff that give away everything to try to get people in there. They couldn't wait for folks to see it and then go tell their friends. Hey, Bill. So yeah, you're you're absolutely right. A movie like this will never get made again. No way, unless they Bill, just do it as a favor. Bill, speaking of the advertising, do you remember that that big long blurb? For some reason, I seem to remember actually like hearing that. Was that? Like in one of those the the teaser teaser trailers. Boy, I'd have to it... look up the trailer. I, that I... that does sound it does sound like narration from. Yeah, and, and it, I'm trying to remember the trailer. Um, I, I think states. I don't know. it's been so long. Yeah, because but I remember when I was a kid, like I said, I was 12 or 13 and it fascinated me. I'm like, I got to see yeah. this movie. But I knew I'd never get to see it till I was older because they could Blair didn't. Brown. Yeah. Well, no, I didn't know that part of it. But when I did, I was like, oh, wow, even better. But <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah. So it was just. um yeah, that just seems like that. I have like a, a 
faint memory of that. It's not as distinctive as like the magic trailer that you like terrified the show. Oh, oh God, that was the yeah. scariest but, thing but ever. But it seems like it was that kind of trailer, that kind of teaser trailer where there was nothing really, you know, maybe a slow pan over something and then them saying that. I but... mean, the the best one was the, the teaser trailer for Alien, you know, oh, where yeah. it was just brilliant and, you know, showing the egg and which is not, the you know, scenes not in the movie and then almost subliminally fast things just to really get you going. You know, they could do things like that. They would do teaser trailers that actually teased you. Yeah. Um, to, you know, to get you in there. I'm, I'm actually watching the trailer right now, which I'm, I'm assuming is the actual one from 1980s. And it's it's actually, you know, it does show a narrative. It's, you know, showing you know, him drinking the magic hoodoo juice. And, and then, you know, <laughs> I would actually, I would actually, some... I would actually argue that there is a, uh, there's another film released. In fact, the same year as this one, 1980, that uh, has probably the greatest teaser trailer of all time, and that is The Shining, because that is oh, just yes. the, uh, oh, yes. the elevators and the blood. But anyways, that's a different film, which I'm sure we'll talk <laughs> about at some point. But uh, let's talk a little bit, before we get into like our discussion about the film itself, let's talk a little bit about the history and background of this movie. I and would like this... to briefly interject apologies, uh, just to hmm? satisfy Bill's curiosity. 85% on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, All right. Well. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so the the history, history and background, and this is a section that I normally just talk for like thirty minutes, and I kind of hate it. So uh, today we're going to switch things up, though, because today I'm going to uh, turn it over to the number one Altered States fan uh. in the world, Mr. Bill Mulligan. So, Bill, do you want to tell us a little bit about how this movie came to be? So to really understand this movie, you got to understand something that will never, ever be said again, which is the screenwriter had a lot of power in this film. Um, Patty Chavsky is, was considered and probably still is one of the great writers. He doesn't really have that large, uh, you know, the, the, it was based on a fairly small number of films, but he was a playwright. You know, this is one of those old school guys who wrote plays and then, you know, did stuff for TV during the golden age when it was really literate and cheap and, and then started making movies. And some of these movies were the kind the kind of movies that a rare thing where there's something you could be proud of, but also something that made money. That's, you know, sometimes they would have these prestige pictures that they knew were going to lose money or something. Cause they didn't have, you know, they weren't song and dance and popular stuff, but you know, they, they won Academy Awards and you can get away with that. But um, Marnie, was a game changer. Ernest Borgnine just playing uh, like a garbage man, just a regular guy. Not He didn't look like a movie star. He didn't do movie star stuff. It was just slice of life. It was like a, a total difference from everything going on. And it was, it made, it, it made bank. It won awards. He did the hospital black comedy still holds up that one. Uh, you know, it just, he'd had a number of, of really successful things. So he had the power to, uh, Oh, then he did network which was huge network was huge also very dark comedy and and really grabbed onto the zeitgeist of of the time so you know he was considered a visionary he was a guy everyone you can hit your wagon to it when he said you said wagon he also did paint your wagon paint your wagon yes which i'm like god yes singing singing uh yeah yeah Paint your wagon. Okay, oh, sorry. <laughs> sorry. Can I? If I could, yeah, if I could just interject, I think he, I think he wrote a total of ten 
or uh, a total of 10 fe- feature film screenplays that were like produced as films and three of them won academy awards like for his writing yeah. so that's i mean i don't know if there's another writer out there who like almost a third of his output won awards for writing so yeah i i think i think he's a rare one because he, academy awards tony awards you know pretty pretty amazing he wrote one novel altered states which was not considered a great novel but you know it, there was a t- there was a time boys and girls when Norman Mailer wrote a book and that was the cover of Time magazine there was also a time when there was Time magazine you know seriously a writer writes a book and it's considered an important enough news story that a cover story for a national magazine those days are gone maybe if Stephen King writes a sequel to Salem's Lot you might get something like that, but of course, there's no Time Magazine, Time Magazine to advertise it. Chayefsky was a big deal, and he had the power. Now, you, screenwriters have no power. It's one of the oldest Hollywood jokes in the world. Did you hear about the uh, actress who was so stupid she slept with the screenwriter? Yeah, that's that's funny because <laughs> that would get get her nowhere. Screenwriters, you know, you write the script, they tell you you're a genius, they buy it from you, and then if you show up on set, you'll probably be kicked out as you watch them, you know tear apart your dialogue and take suggestions from the children of the actors who suddenly think that they, you know, know, know what dialogue is because they're just repeating it, pretending to be someone else. Better, better, better. Well, that wasn't going to fly on a Chayevsky. He, he was a producer of this and he had all kinds of power. He had the power to actually fire Ken Russell, which he wanted to do. But at that point, it was like, if you do that, the movie's probably going to be canceled because supposedly Ken Russell was the 27th director approach to make this film i think they started with arthur penn they actually started going with it and at some point he quit because he just couldn't take it anymore directors especially back then they had a lot of power like you could directors could kick the producers off the set even though the producers are the ones paying them you know there's a weird hierarchy in, in hollywood but definitely the screenwriters at the bottom they, they get paid and then they're paid to go away but that wasn't going to fly here. He he basically it was understood that if any line of dialogue was changed or cut, he would sue. And there, so Russell's solution to this, because if you look at this, you try to imagine how long this movie would be if it was a normal movie where a character says something and then a character replies at a normal speed for real conversation. It'd be a five-hour movie. So his solution was to just have everybody shout, talk fast talk while they're walking and shoving stuff in their mouth, um, talk over each other, especially when they're getting to some of the real gobbledygook, uh, some of the, you know, really way out there science. They're not listening to each other, so why should they take turns talking? Just have them... And, oh, Chayefsky was furious. Took his name off, put his alter ego, you know, up there, but no one was fooled. And uh, that was that. Apparently he did that without even seeing the movie. I don't know if he would have felt any better watching the movie because yeah, it, it is pretty obvious that, you know, there's, it, it almost becomes comical after a while. That's, I like that style. I love it in the original, the thing that overlapping dialogue that sounds to me like real dialogue because people really do talk over each other as we do here, especially if I'm on. Um, yeah. I was getting ready to. <laughs> yeah. There you are. <laughs> well, so, no, cause yeah. I, I, what's, what's neat is it, it informs like what those characters are like. Like you said, yes. they're not listening to each other. See, I was listening to you there though. So see what I did. Oh, but, oh there, see. Yeah. But um, yeah, so it, it informs what they're like. And also it's that, that sort of 
late 70s early 80s baby boomer self uh self-involved yes uh, you know self-actualization movement crap that uh that that is all tied in with it it makes it feel real so i just had to step talk over top of you (laughs) (laughs) and and you know so uh and they got i mean i don't know who hires ken russell and doesn't and is shocked by what they get when you get a Ken Russell movie. I mean, that's that's his charm. That's that's yeah. And and he was the perfect person for this. It's hard to imagine this film any you know done by anyone else. Now there were a couple of things that could have been different. John Dykstra, the special effects genius who had done Star Wars and was you know just cutting edge here, was originally the special effects guy, and he left I think when Arthur Penn left, and then went to work on Star Trek the Motion Picture. Um, he wasn't happy. They kept making changes and stuff. So I think the, yeah, the, the effects would have been different. This movie is really the, the film, like the last of the great, um, not the last, but the, the one, the kind of like the one right in the middle between when things went from practical to more computer driven. Well, and it's got a Dick little Smith, bit of both. D- didn't Dick Smith did the special effect? Did yes. The, oh, yeah. I was gonna, yeah. Effects, Dick yeah. Smith. Yeah. Dick Smith. And, and that's really what got me to want to see this because Fangoria was showing some of his... Um, amazing makeup and everything a lot of which is very obscured in the movie under the uh the fake uh, tv pattern stuff and everything but I, I love that look it's just unfortunate that it hides a lot of his stuff but i think it was necessary that end sequence if it didn't have all the the lights and funny effects and take on me stuff where you know we're switching <laughs> I did the same thing. thanks bill i'm never gonna watch that again the same way <laughs> Yeah. Except I'm getting, instead I'm going to see Take On Me as this instead. So Yeah, you know, the first time I saw Take On Me, I'm watching this and, you know, come on, you, you can't help but love that song. It's got such a catchy beat, just worms itself in your head. But when they got to the end when he's banging, I'm like, oh, my God, altered states. And people look at me like I have an extra chromosome. What the hell are you talking about? Shut up. Well, I great. wonder if that was actually intentional so on their part. Of course um, it was intentional. It was 100% intentional. It yeah. was any time you have a scene where you're – banging against a wall and transforming into you know your normal self and then back to your cartoon self or whatever and i want to i want to pay an homage i'm going to make a movie one day just for the sole purpose of having an homage to that just so i can (laughs) celebrate a a film that i love um but yeah and that that was great that really was i mean it's good because you needed to you know give something for folks to go out on apparently the entire sequence was just really grueling like weeks work work worth of work for for uh, Blair Brown and um, oh, those costumes were Hurt. horrifying. Well, they, I mean, it, I saw I saw you, some interview by by Blair Brown. She said that William Hurt had bruises all over his arms from having to smash into the walls. Yeah, they had they had her hooked up to a rig to jerk her across the floor. They put they put lights on her eyelids and stuff like this, and yeah, yeah all sorts of just, fun just stuff. sorry, and, just just to just to bring this back just a little bit. What I I, I was yeah. kind of curious. You mentioned Bill like getting a Ken Russell movie. Can you, like, what was he known for, for the people who aren't familiar with kind of his filmography? Like, at the time, what were what were the things that people knew as Ken Russell films? Okay. So, first of all, if you look up Ken Russell on IMDb, um, the picture that they show there is every raving lunatic you have ever had to sit next to on a bus. Like, Rutger Hauer's seedy uncle. It's just this, this terrible, <laughs> he's a raving madman. You can see it in the eyes. A tr- and a true visionary. So what had he done? Let me let me just uh, look up as director. He has, you know, actually 71 credits as director. 
but you know some of the last ones were like a kitten for hitler when they were no longer allowing him to make any real <laughs> movies he was making shorts you know bodisha bites back he's just having fun revenge of the elephant man i would kill to see these movies i just right, yeah but but the ones the ones that he's the ones for, yeah but that's the not 70s the ones he... His his 70s were like prime. I know him Ken for a, kit, from a, kit, uh, a kitten for Hitler, but most of you <laughs> probably know him more. <laughs> Women in Love, I think, was the one that really uh, put him on the map. So if you've ever wanted to watch a Ken Russell movie where Oliver Reed wrestles another guy naked, and who, who, I ask you, would not want that? Women in Love. I think it's also got Glenda Jackson. I think she's in it. Probably everyone's naked. That's that's a, a the, the music lovers was next, and then the devils. Holy crap! A movie that it was ahead of its time, and that time has not yet come. It is. <laughs> it's a religion. Has song. not and will ne- yes has not will never be released. Uh, a searing performance by Oliver Reed. I'm not being funny because of his eventual. Fate. No, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's just fantastic. Unbelievable. Lynn Redgrave. Everyone in this movie is fantastic, and it is dialed up to eleven. 1971. I have no idea what they thought when it came out. Uh, well, it was, it was rated, rated X. X at the time, yeah. Yeah, but it was, it's, rated, it's, it was one of those rated X, but not not for hardcore porn. For hardcore, it's a, um, you know, yeah, it's, it's one of his up. movies. Yeah. So it's funny, you know, I didn't see it till just a few years ago when they had it on Shutter. And when I did, I also I was like, oh my god, there's two, there's one scene in it that Terry Gilliam pays homage to twice in the Adventures of Baron Munchausen, which is a family oh. film. I was like, oh yeah, my god. Yeah. Yeah, the, the birth of Venus, and then in that same scene, there's also the um, the the waves and such when he's swallowed by the whale. Um, all yeah. that he's taken directly from the a rather interesting scene in The Devils. He did Savage Messiah, a biographical movie about Henry um, Guadiere, a sculptor. Again, back in the day, there was a time when you could sell that as a movie. I want to make a movie about this French sculptor who died in World War One. I. I smell money. Okay, but <laughs> definitely watch that movie if you've ever wanted to watch Helen Mirren naked because her scene, oh. she is just stark naked, and, with and and no explanation. She's just walking around, one hundred percent nude, and she's ravishing. Well, um, I think that about Tommy, wraps up this she, podcast. Thank you, yeah, everyone, yeah. for joining us. I have some research to do. I will see you next time. <laughs> he then did Tommy, Tommy, which was a big hit. Listomania, which was not that great. And then altered states. And then he went a little funny in the head and started doing weird stuff like crimes of passion. And I, I think really altered states kind of killed his career. Yeah. Although and then he did Lair of the White great. Worm. A brief, a brief return to greatness with Lair of the White Worm. Oh, yeah. Which was what would happen if Hammer movies had said, you know what we need? A Ken Russell movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. He also did uh, the one movie that I think I had actually seen of his before altered states because i actually haven't seen a lot of his stuff but uh i was also i was familiar with his uh film gothic which is oh, yeah. oh, kind of yes, weird yes. 80s it's it's based on the uh i can't remember i think there's a name for whatever the weekend but it's basically when the the shelley's mm-hmm. and lord byron went up to, and you know got together and and wrote uh you know a bunch of stuff and one of those one of the one of the works that would become uh mary shelley's frankenstein so um, so you so see, yeah. you see, there's a common theme here is that, you know, a groups of really intelligent people, smarter than pretty much everyone else around them, get together and shenanigans ensue. His movies are about <laughs> smart people. I know, I was just thinking, why, like, I wouldn't know if I'd shenanigans, but yeah, that, that, I, I guess that works. Yeah. So now um, about the, the origin of this, though, Bill, like, so the, the, the book that he wrote Altered States on and the, the, the 
the person it's based on. I mean, it's it's really the inspiration. Are you, yeah. are you familiar with that? Is, Lily, uh, right? John C. Lilly, yeah. He was a, what, psychologist, or I can't remember what the, you'd actually say he, a uh, physician, neuro, neuroscientist, psychoanalyst, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, he did in the 50s, 50s originally, he did, um, he was doing research with, he invented the isolation tank. He hmm. did research uh, taking LSD in the, in to expand his mind yeah. in there. He did all this work trying to talk to dolphins. He'd had a, the, uh, they, he actually built a what they called the dolphin house where he had a, a young woman who lived with the dolphin trying to teach it to speak English. Um, in the course of that, she also did um, give it hand jobs, but that was just to keep it under control. And wow. uh, yeah, and the dolphin itself eventually committed suicide. Um, so yeah, and I mean, Lily also dosed the dolphins with LSD. Lily was a piece of Of course, of why wouldn't they? So this guy sounds piece, like, yeah, he sounds was like Tesla with, yeah, yeah eventually yeah. they, they they he was no longer gonna get the lsd and he uh he moved on to ketamine uh and mm. was a big fan of ketamine if you ever see interviews with him later in his life he is the definition of an acid casualty he is just a mess. oh wow but anyway you know, was, that, that, that I, but when i was a dangerous. kid I, yeah but yeah but people people like this that really are brilliant yeah after a while they they start believing their own bullshit and, which and i think you, which which i think ties right into the movie though which is great yeah oh absolutely and, you but know, there just... is another movie based on him, Day of the Dolphin, which I really have to revisit because I want to see if it's... Well, you know, okay, now that movie had, I think, maybe the worst marketing ever. John Carter <laughs> of Mars is grateful that they did not have the marketing of Day of the Dolphin. The, the, yeah. the, the ads for that were pretty much trying to keep you away from the theater, and it worked. So well, it's, it's pretty depressing movie, so... Oh, yeah. Listen, yeah. The noise that Paul just made was great. I, do well, it again. Was... Well, so what it is, is, is so yeah, he, John C. Lilly did really try to teach dolphins to speak English. Um, and he was actually like NASA funded him and things like this. He, he, and he they, succeeded they just, if E-E-E-E-E is a word. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there was, they did some, some literal parroting, but it wasn't, yeah. it was, the parrots speak better than these dolphins did. But um, right. in Day of the Dolphin, George C. Scott teaches dolphins to speak. And then they get like co-opted by the military for like assassinations and shit. But like the the, the heart wrenching sad is when uh, Ba is the dolphin goes up to to him and goes Ba la pa. It was just like <laughs> yeah. it breaks your heart. But yeah, it does. But now, so, listen, yeah, hey, but, in, in defense of the military, if you yeah. actually taught dolphins to talk, what would they really say to us? The water's warm, fish taste good. So <laughs> yeah. you know, that's a lot of money for for to, just for a weather report. So, so you know. yeah, but L- Lily was a bit of a nut. I mean, he would at the dolphin yeah, house to assist to assist in the assist in the dolphin learning English. He would go into the isolation tank upstairs in the house oh. and and take mass amounts of LSD and try to communicate with it um, uh, psychically. Boy, but, yeah. you got you got to be a genius to think that's a good idea. But again, when I was like twelve, I read his book and like, oh wow, this guy's great! Wow, I can't wait till we start to talk with dolphins, and this is just amazing stuff. And then, yeah, you know, you was, get that book was right next to Chariots of the Gods, right? <laughs> oh my god! Well, I mean, he he definitely <laughs> moved that direction. I mean, he originally started yeah. like he he was he was involved with uh, um, uh, crap, um, drawn oh, blank, uh, Carl Sagan. Yeah. Oh. Carl, yeah. No, no, Carl Sagan and the like right. the whole Drake equation. Legit came, people, yeah. That came from John C. Lilly and, and being involved with them, and they because they were like, if we need to talk to aliens, this guy's working on mm-hmm. talking with dolphins. It's just he got further and further afield and got weirder and weirder. 
And, yeah. and he's one of those people who probably had some cool ideas and was definitely brilliant. But you know, if there's no one around you to tell you, okay, you got to calm down. Yeah. You know, yeah. you're going a little crazy here. Next thing you know, it's hand jobs for dolphins. It's just, yeah. it's just yeah. a straight <laughs> line. It's actually Bill, the, the title Bill, of his autobiography, I believe. But, um, <laughs> that's actually called Scientist, a novel. And he talks about the, it's like the, the it's like, what's, it's got like some, the solid state intelligence, which is this evil thing. That's this evil, evil uh, entity that's kind of coming after all of us. Yeah. He got really mm. weird, but Bill, I think you hit the nail on the head when he kind of bought into his own bullshit. And what I think I, what I, what I, I didn't really catch the first time I saw it, but at least the way I took it when I watched this film was, I think Chayefsky bought into his bullshit, and Ken Russell oh. didn't, didn't quite, and it's, right. and and the film was about these people who buy into the bullshit, and and so I think having that that conflict really works to make this film what it is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, no. do, do we speaking of the conflict? Do we want to kind of jump in uh, to our discussion of the film and and talk about some of the some of the the uh stylistic choices that went into uh the i guess the the imagery but also the way that just the lines are delivered which i think we've talked we've mm-hmm. already touched on a few times but i i really kind of thought that was interesting so yeah i just yeah. have one quick yeah. thing to say about yeah. lily is that uh i heard that he thought that pan-dimensional aliens stole his penis yes i mean there's I actually an interview well, but his, his wife came in and said, "No, it's still there." And then the <laughs> dimension. What happened was that the the aliens told him that that you had this unconscious worry, and so we just showed this to you. So yeah, wow. but yeah, he did. He believed that they had attached it at one point. But yeah, he it was mm. we had what were they called? He had like a name for like this trio of these these pan-dimensional beings that. That they got Dewey, Dewey, Louie, and Screwy. No, no, yeah. it's it's like the 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 something about coincidence because he felt like it's like they guided coincidences, coincident what appeared to be coincidences, coincidences. Sorry, the 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 portobellos are hitting. Yeah. So what and, you, uh, so what you're saying is basically these pan-dimensional uh, aliens did the uh, the old thumb trick on, on his penis is like oop I pulled it off <laughs> yeah whoa. I put it back on <laughs> yeah how did he do that we thought you were a dolphin. <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was given hand jobs uh, to dolphins the whole time. The pan-dimensional aliens were given hand jobs to him. That was well. It wasn't him. Away. It was it was the young woman who was working with the dolphin was given the hand. Every jobs week there was a new paperback on some crazy pseudoscience. If it wasn't the Bermuda Triangle, it was who was who was that one that got the guy that made a whole series of books where he went down to Mexico and oh, uh, um, Castro, took drugs with Castro. Don Juan Casta. Yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and they have all these Carlos profound, Castanata. yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. you know, and then and then he would repeat these profound words of wisdom, which is totally mystery men, the Sphinx. You know, mm-hmm. if you don't master your powers, your powers will master you. It was every variation of that. It was just those, those are those are, book, trap. those are books that I'm I'm pleased that I, I bought them like in high school. Like, oh, these are like, you know, these are really these are going to be really deep books. Right. Yeah. And then I, I never got around to reading them. And it's it's I'm so yeah. pleased that I didn't read them when I was like at a, a vulnerable age to believe them. Now, a, a friend of mine did and he bought into that bullshit. So you would have been better off buying, you know, the latest in the endless gore novel, you know, librarians <laughs> of gore. Bare breasted women traveling on pterodactyls, reading books or something. You know, just gore. madness. Yeah. Yeah. That's gore. my favorite one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Geo. Yeah, awesome. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> back to this yeah if we want to get into the the discussion on this one because i think there's there's a lot sure. to discuss that uh we haven't even touched on yet so no. 
Um, so yeah, I was, uh, you know, I, I, we kind of go back and forth between different formats and I think, uh, I think maybe for this one, I was thinking maybe we go, uh, kind of by acts, but I think, I think it was actually, uh, thinking mm. maybe we divide it up by, uh, going by the, the trips because he, mm. uh, Dr. Jessup takes a couple of different trips in this film and that's kind of, that's kind of what the film is like centered around. Like those trips are the things that kind of propel, the uh the story and the mystery forward so that was kind of that's kind of i think how how uh if it works for you guys how we'll kind of frame the conversation sure so yeah let's talk about the uh the first trip and kind of the the stuff surrounding it so the first trip is actually after he meets uh oh man i i need to scroll down here and look because i forgot the names of these characters emily after he meets emily Emily. yeah yeah i could just ask bill um, so yeah, after he meets Emily, and so w- we kind of see all that stuff, and then we kind of see his first actual trip. Um, so I, yeah, I figure we just kind of talk about some of these characters that are introduced in this section of the film, and then end with talking about like some of the imagery and stuff in this trip. And I mean, we can start uh, kind of start with the main characters here because we've kind of talked a- around him a lot, but William Hurt as Eddie Jessup. Discuss uh self-centered self-involved piece of shit okay and, but and what that, about what about eddie jessup <laughs> i was gonna say and that displays <laughs> both of them because oh. Oh, it's so funny this is a where i think i mean i i i, I really enjoy this film uh, now and i did back then i want to kind of state even though i think he's a piece of garbage it, but it's one of those things that when i first saw it i saw it back like in the like i said i was probably in college or whatever and i just kind of took it as oh yeah he's this scientist he's doing this okay but, but you watch it this time you go Wow, like, uh, he. Why the fuck does Blair Brown stay with him? Because he is an utter, utterly cold piece of crap. And apparently, oh, yeah. apparently in the novel, he's even worse. Apparently, in yeah, the novel, it's I like explicitly that. stated that he is like he can't even really love her, and and he just mm-hmm. doesn't come to this till the end. But I, it, I mean, it's fascinating though, because I mean, you you need that for like that character. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think the actor softens the edges of this unlikable person because William Hurt has this ability to, he looks vulnerable. Yes. You know, he's smart, but it's not giving him any joy. And, and you know, he's seeing things that others aren't and it stops him from being able to enjoy anything because he, he sees the the transitory state, you know, nature of life and, and everything. And, and you can't, can't enjoy life if that's all you think about. And he wants to know answers. And if he doesn't have the answers, he's going to be going to be all boo-boo face about it and everything. But yeah, but the character, but he, as an actor, he's a good actor. He's a good actor. I mean, you know, he may not have been a very good person. Yeah. I don't know. I probably shouldn't judge. I mean, he, he went through the usual drugs and alcohol and being pretty abusive and, and all, but, uh, but he, you know, he, he maybe he was the exact right person for the for this role. Um, yeah, but it is a mystery why anyone, you know. So so Emily is she's super intelligent in her own right, but she's way more balanced um, and and able to actually enjoy you know the usual things. Why is she attracted to this guy? Um, you know, I guess I guess the thing is. She's one of the few that can maybe because she's so smart herself, she can appreciate just how brilliant he is. Well, maybe and, she's and also some... pre- maybe she's also attracted to that vulnerability in there because it does seem, you know. Yeah, she, or she's she got... one of these Spock women who, like, you know, I could bring out the emotion in Mister Spock. You know, girls <laughs> loved Mister Spock back in the day. That was like every fantasy. 
other than yeah. Kirk Spock slash fiction. The other <laughs> one was, you know, the girl who comes on the Enterprise and Spock falls in love with her because she's just so special. You know, it's like the definition of a Mary Sue character. And yeah, I have known situations that were kind of like this, where some, uh, you know, someone who totally did not deserve uh, the person they got, got the person they got. And that person was always trying to turn them into something better. And it usually doesn't work. And in fact, I'm, I'm now thinking back, trying to remember a time it did work. <laughs> unless, unless this damaged person finds Jesus or some other thing to fill up that hole in their life, it's just not going to happen. So, well, I'm getting, getting sad back news to... for everybody. Well, I guess we're we're still on his first trip because I've got like some other things to say about Jessup because that, mm. that's the thing is he de he he changes he doesn't he kind of his his arcus seems short to me though um, it's sort of yeah. like the change comes quick and at the end too much time is spent with Monkey Man that that probably could have <laughs> yeah. been shortened a little no but, oh well we'll get to that that was uh yeah yeah, yeah. but we're talking now we're talking we're talking about is when he first goes in because he doesn't I thought he goes the religious in. the religious uh, one right with all the, yeah, the, the crucifix and the goat. Well, and that's where he talks about. I think that's sort of his motivation, right? Because his mm -hmm. his father died, and and that's when he lost his faith. And then he's trying. To, I think he's using this trying to go, but you know, especially once he has those those religious flashes, he's trying to go back and 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 he's yeah. trying to. He's trying. I think he's trying. He wants to find God. He's trying to find God. I think is his. Mm -hmm is really what it is and he mentions but he's mad like at when, god he's mad at god because his dad died and listen he's mad at god because his dad died but he doesn't he doesn't believe in god anymore so it's hard to not yeah, because his dad died. I, i've never understood there are people i've heard this a number of times ted turner yeah. said the same thing you know they, they believed in god until their sister got cancer and died and i'm like so how do you think this works that because you were so special <laughs> you know you were god's favorite little fair-haired boy none of your family was going to die nothing bad right. was ever going to happen to you and when it did you felt betrayed I don't know what? if he was, was, was he actually mad at God or did he, I think because he, he said that he stopped believing in God because it was almost like when his, when his dad died and, and he realized that his dad was really religious. And the last thing that uh, his dad said was like terrible. And he took terrible. that to mean that. Oh yes, that, yeah. There's, yeah. And he, he, he basically took that to mean like, it's still terrible that he's dying or something. And he basically lost his religion right there. So I don't think it was even like he hated God. It was just he basically gave up religion because he realized it was, or to him, it was kind of pointless because his dad, who had been religious his whole life and had spent his whole life being, so you know. He expected his dad's last moments were going to be an angel taking him by the hand and giving him a, a harp and, and, you know, lifting no, but him I, up. And he just closed his eyes <laughs> and gave a sigh. Could be. I mean, that char characters can be characters. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Look, 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 he's very self-absorbed, so I think he I, would believe that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I took it more that he 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 took it as how it's kind of interpreted in the film. Terrible, like, oh, shit, there's nothing here. <laughs> like, mm. uh-oh. Um, and that's what kind of broke his religion. And then his, his motivation was he's trying to f – he really wants to find it again. Um you know, even though he he doesn't say it, he's trying. You know, I think that's his motivation. But um, so that see, that's I, I'm, a, I'm a half, I'm a glass half full kind of guy. If someone in their last moments looks up and says "terrible," I'm like, "All right." So there is something on the other side. Apparently, you didn't do a good job of preparing for it, but all right. <laughs> 
Yeah. So anyway, well, that, that's kind of, but I, mean, what I like is there at least there's something there. Like there's something each of us could look at it and say, mm -hmm. well, this is some yeah. sort of motivation for it, right? There's there's something there, whether it's because he was angry or whether because yeah. he thought there was nothing or whether that he was looking for, there's at least something there for, for the audience to grab onto, right? But, but as far as the dream goes, the dream is great. I love these low-fi, um, low-tech, bad mats dreams. Because and I liked it in Dreamscape too. You know, people were criticizing, you know, how better the dreams would be now if they did them, but they wouldn't be realistic. Most I, I, I don't know what your dreams are like. My dreams are not Hollywood production value. They're pretty low tech, you know, heavy on the symbolism and a, a very bad matte line. They did not like the green screen correctly in my dreams. So I was cool with that. That it didn't look real at all. Why should it look real? It's a freaking dream. Yeah, I just took that as a stylistic saturated. choice. I yeah, a good choice. And, and those are those choice. are really common Ken Russell things. I mean, he especially did that like in yeah. the Devils. There's, in fact, that was one of the things when I watched this the second time. There was less of the religious imagery than I remember. I remember this mm -hmm. having a lot more in it, and it really is only what one or two of those dream sequences right, uh, where it's... the crucified guy with the triple-eyed, many-eyed. Well, right. And, yeah. I think I think that's the interesting thing, though, because so for for this first trip that he has, like it's all very religious, and then yeah. once you mm -hmm. get past that, it actually like it turns into something else entirely that he's seeing on these trips. So. I thought right. that was kind of interesting. I also wanted to just real quick, uh, just to kind of rewind, talk a little bit about the, the relationship stuff, because I had a, another note that actually kind of came in before that sequence. But uh, yeah, so Emily Jessup, who we mentioned, played by Blair Brown, who I just wanted to mention, I, I love Blair Brown. I just, mm -hmm. I, I'll probably mention this several times. I think she's actually kind of wasted in this movie, but I still yes. think she puts on a stellar performance. Um, oh, and she's naked 30% of the time. She is, yeah. That's an actual is. statistic. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, no, I also did want to mention that I, I love her so much. I actually didn't even recognize her, but then I had to go, you know, when I looked at her IMDb. Um, I had been a fan of hers before because she plays Nina Sharp in Fringe, which I she's ah, absolutely yes. phenomenal in that show. Mm. And but Days of Nights and Molly Dodd for about four years. Oh, my gosh, right? Role. Yeah. Yeah, so, so the, the interesting thing that I kind of noted, it, we're kind of talking about why she's attracted to Eddie and kind of like why she stays in that relationship. But um, it is kind of interesting that the the first time you see, or sh the first time she sees him, there's this weird effect where like th someone opens the front door. <laughs> yes. And he's yeah. like, oh. <laughs> yeah, and it's yeah. like this angelic. And I, I don't know, I thought that was kind of silly. Like I couldn't quite tell whether that was supposed to be some bigger, like there was supposed to be some bigger meaning to that or whether it was just supposed to be that like, representation of that moment when you see someone and you're just immediately right. like attracted everything to them. goes like, oh, in I, slow motion they, yeah, they flip yeah. their hair in slow motion it's like, yeah, it's like i took it more as like prime prime ken russell kind of weird yeah. campiness you know and, and the whole back back is lit bet he's back lit and aren't they playing like inagata davida or something just something totally, yeah yeah but, but it, yeah. it's it's ken russell has this sort of weird like it's campy but it's like almost an elevated campiness Mm -hmm. It's hard, you know, it's it's hard to put your finger on it, especially, you know, not so much in the devils, but in in other films, he does have this there's sort of this weird little definitely in there. Lair of the White Worm. Yeah. Yes. Oh, God. Yeah, that's that's prime. And so I think that that was part of the that that just Ken Russelliness of it, which is right. Ken makes it tasty. Just oh, back. I was trying to remember. I was I was blanking on it. I, I blame the portobellos um, <laughs> when he's when he's doing the work with the schizophrenics and they give her DMT. And he specifically mentions that DMT gives 
you know, religious experiences. And so I thought that was kind of interesting because he doesn't actually he does he never takes DMT. He takes just the mushrooms from the mm-hmm. the the um was it was it Mexico that he went down yeah, to? Yeah, he, he takes whatever nastiest he, looking yeah, the soup ever. Yeah, it's not, it's not just the mushroom. It's, yeah, it's some sort of concoction of a bunch of stuff, including his yeah. own oh, blood. and his blood. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, apparently important. So, uh, Renee, I'm just curious. What what are your thoughts on this kind of initial section here and William Hurt, Flair Brown, any of this stuff, or just tripping balls and seeing a multi-eyed <laughs> goat? I, it was really interesting. It rem- it reminded me a lot of my youth. No, just kidding. Wow. Um, don't do drugs, kids. Um, right. It, <laughs> unless you're in a uh, controlled environment, like mm-hmm. on a ayahuasca journey or something, I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> I thought it was really interesting, you know, the idea of isolation chambers and all that stuff. It, for me personally, it kind of freaks me out a little bit just for, um, enclo- like, just that first scene where he's, like, in that tube. I thought, oh, Jesus, that would freak me out. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so that whole kind of concept. And then I don't really want to, like, look into the inner depths of my soul so I'm, that's yeah. <laughs> kind of freaks yeah, me right. out. Right. Yeah. Um, oh boy. So is, what's his name? Jessup. So, and William Hurt, he is one of those people where it's like, you, you know how there's people that you like them as a coworker, but you mm-hmm. don't like them personally or vice versa. You like them personally, but not as a coworker. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and he's one, you know, or like separation of the artist versus the art. He's one of those guys. Um, kind of like you said, he, you know, he was really good in this. Um, but, oof, yeah, he's a he's a rough fella. I'm I'm not surprised he played the role so well. Hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, and Blair Brown, yeah, I love her. I my first interaction with her was um for that days and nights of Molly Dodd, just like you said. And I remember because it was around the time when I was a kid and that Molly McButter came out. And so I would always think of the days and nights of Molly McButter. So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, it was really interesting. I, For what it started with, um, it was good. And also I do, since he was in the very beginning of the movie, I do want to mention Bob Balaban. Yes! Yeah. Yes! Oh I love him so much. And Who- uh, I, I did not reckon I, I did not recognize him at all. In oh, really? Man. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. it's prime bad Bob, Bob Balaban. Yeah. That well, is so well, funny. no. So here's the thing. Like, I know that he. I mean, I've seen him in this. I've seen him. I, I had seen him in yeah. Close Encounters, but mm-hmm. I always think of the like later like '90s and later on Bob Balaban because I recognize him yes. from, from all Seinfeld? Christopher. Uh, no, from Christopher Seinfeld. Guest movies. Oh, Christopher Guest movies too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, right. funny that you went to Seinfeld. Yeah, because oh he plays gosh. the what's his name, the head of uh, NBC. I, I, yeah, yes. I never, I never actually watched Seinfeld. Yeah, but, here he's yeah. got that Bob Ross hairdo, and yeah, yeah he's yeah. got the very yeah. like seventies like the beard and everything. And I know him as like the like basically shaved head kind of. So yeah, love him, uh, love yeah. him, and all Any that Christopher stuff. Any Christopher Guest movie, also show, waiting yeah. for Guffman to yeah. watch it. Uh, I haven't, I haven't actually seen this one, but just to bring it back to one of our favorite uh, writer directors, uh, he's also in Frank Darabont's The Majestic. So oh. there you go. Ah. Um, no. But yeah, sorry. What, what were you saying about Bob Balaban, Renee? Before I interrupted. Um, oh, just that that I love him and uh, he's wonderful. I thought he was great in this role. And uh, yeah. yeah, he was a delight. I think he well, was kind of he was kind of shortchanged by being one of the, one of the only actors in this movie who, did, who didn't get naked. That but. is true. That <laughs> is yeah. true. What, what I kind of like is, and because I, I think he doesn't come till like later, because this is this is when they're first doing this, and then it's what seven eight years later is the next segment. Um, right. 
Um, no, when... he, he. Oh, oh, sorry. You're not yeah, talking no, because he's Balaban. there. It's yeah, Bob Balaban. It starts. It starts with Bob Balaban, yeah. and you know, right. mm-hmm. and William Hurt, and that's their their the before it even you know, yeah. before they actually even meet Blair Brown, and um, then it jumps in time. So I don't remember if. If uh, Charles is it Charles Hayes Charles as Hayde, yeah. Mason? Yeah, no, he comes he doesn't. She didn't show up till yeah. later, right? But right. I, I don't. I I want to kind of get back to that when we get there because yeah, sort of the contrast and the the comparison, the, just the the relationship yeah. between the the researchers. I think is, is yeah. Well, the ba- Balaban and Hayes character was much closer to what what I'm talking about with like the grad school experience. These mm-hmm. you know they're not as crazy and cold as uh, Eddie Jessup there, but you know passionate talking over each other, different personalities, but, but, you know, a closeness there, you know, they're working toward a common goal, even though each one is convinced that they're smarter than the other it feels one. feels like us. Right. Yeah. They, 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 oh, go ahead. What'd you say right yeah. now? Yeah. <laughs> like us. It feels like oh. us. Yeah. I mean, I, I like it. I, they, 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 they butt heads, but they, they're, they're like respectful of each other. Most. And I've always liked Charles yeah. Hayden. I liked, I loved him in Hill Street Blues. That's, I always think of him as the guy as what was his, yeah. what was his name? Ralph. Oh. Rothko or something like in 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 Hill Street Blues. Blues. He died in the first episode, and they liked him so much they brought him back to life. <laughs> oh, that's like uh, what's your name in in ER. Um, anyway, also uh, like uh, Jesus, uh, who uh, I believe kind of figures prominently in this movie because that's uh, true. <laughs> but <laughs> hey, I, I, I like the re- but I like the relationship between the the three of them because you have you have William Hurt who's like the true believer. You have you know Bob Balaban who he's like okay something weird's going on by the end he's like oh fuck and 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 you have you have mason at the end who mason's like ah you know shit just the the thing blew up that's all that happened you know he's he, even at the very end he doesn't believe it he's like no nah, he just he kind of tripped yeah he, tri- he tripped out and uh, like the, the tank blew up <laughs> like mason does, doesn't even believe at the end if we want to talk about charles Hayde, yeah if, if we don't have anything else to say about this section we can move on to uh i had this uh kind of segmented out as the second trip and the third trip so this would be okay. the, the, <laughs> nice. the whole section where he goes to he goes to Mexico and he trips balls and then uh, mm. and then he comes back and he has kind of the controlled experience. Well, let's um, talk about that because I love yeah. that trip. And I just want to say one thing. If, if you remember, Zach, when we worked together on A Few Brains More, that whole hallucination sequence that I've more or less put together from green screen and, and stuff and everything, one billion percent influenced by this movie. That's exactly oh, nice. what I was going for. Just crazy low tech not trying to make it look real just playing with a green screen and throwing in whatever i i just i love i love the hallucinations in this and the one the one in mexico is great because it, mm. you know it's got the flashing lights it's got the they're shooting sparks at this this poor poor william hurt they're literally shooting bottle rockets at him that had to hurt <laughs> you know i'm not surprised his arms were bruised um but then you Couldn't get the really cool bit with the you know the two of them the, the, you know, the, with her going from the lizard to naked Blair Brown and and then just turning into sand and then being blown away. And that's a sequence that goes on for a long whole, time. That, oh, yeah, it's God, fascinating it? sequence. It's, sequence. I was riveted. I, audiences yeah. today would be throwing popcorn at the screen. No, that was that was I very believe. interesting because I was like this while I was watching this, uh, you know, I was like, this is. It's kind of tedious, but it's also very riveting because I don't know. You get so, like it was tedious for the first minute, and then somehow it's like okay, right now I'm actually now I'm actually like sucked in, even though it's just them like slowly eroding. Which is well, yeah, yeah you're like, where's it gonna go? Are they gonna go away completely? And it's like, yeah, yep, yeah. they did. What? Which and, I mean, and I, it's, I, it's, I'm sorry, oh, I was just I was, it's, I was, it's totally go no go go. 
<laughs> no, no, I was just going to ask, because that's, that's kind of a very interesting segment. I was just kind of curious, like, what you guys were, if you had any thoughts on kind of, like, what what symbolism, what if any, yeah. What, what does it all oh, mean? Oh, wow, we got Adam and Eve, oh, yeah. uh, and she's offering him some apple sorbet, and there's a snake. <laughs> so, so you know, here we go back to the original sin and, and you know, his, his bad feelings about marriage. And then, you know, then she's there. And then they just sort of like sitting, you know, next to each other and then just. Being well, yeah, because at this away. point, they I just were feel like be... this is his thought of what marriage is like, that you're tied because down to are... this person. And, there, and this is when you already know they're away. separating, right? Yeah, we already right. know they're separating at this point. You know, yeah. what I took it at, what dust. I thought. Oh, what, Renee? So then you die and turn into dust. <laughs> yeah. Well, mm -hmm. the thing that actually struck me with it, especially this time, was. Remember when he goes down there, he talks about them saying, yeah, they have this supposedly shared communal experience. And so he's it's this, here he goes. These people, they're, they're inviting him into their religious thing. That It's this shared communal experience. Mm -hmm. And it's all about Jessup. It's all about Andy Jessup. <laughs> well, what and you don't know is that him. these Indians also had dreams about his naked wife. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> but what I'm saying is Awkward. so it was like it was all about him and, yeah, and they, yeah, were pissed. Was, wasn't it? they were pissed off because it was like he took it he freaked out ran out and he killed our lizard i think what a I dick think, i think the shared so. communal experience is them giving white guys this drug and oh, laughing yes. laughing their asses out as they trip balls <laughs> yeah, yeah. well that's what i said what he said he that, accused them of it right was that so. not the nastiest looking soup you've ever seen in your life mm -hmm. like I, I, I you're just looking at that as like i don't even want to be in the same cave with this soup much less i'm gonna drink it no the the best the, the least offensive part of it is my own blood right <laughs> that's like the purifying part of it and, and, and yeah. they're just and they're just spooning a little off the top it's like make sure you stir it well because sometimes the arsenic settles down to the bottom <laughs> and you look at the you look at these you look at these shaman do you do these guys look like they're taking something you want to partake in is like this is how you're going to end up like they look now they might be 150 years old which say, is, they're yeah. only like 25 i think <laughs> yeah that's the thing. I think, yeah they all look like keith richards i think i think the i think the one thing that i did kind of want to mention though like uh going back just a little bit so uh, the, the i think so there's a lot of things that i liked about this movie and i actually kind of wish i had watched it a second time and i kind of like that it, I, I've only seen it the one time, so I, I don't. That's a good sign. I yeah, I haven't had a lot of time uh, to like really, you know, think deeply and go back and rewatch it. But um, I, I think the one thing that I didn't love about this movie was some of the relationship stuff, and we'll get to get kind of at the end. Mm -hmm. But we do kind of get this. Uh, I don't know. I kind of don't like the fact that we do this time jump here because mm -hmm. he meets. You know, they meet. Uh, they they're obviously they have a connection you know, for some reason she, she's, well, I mean, not for some reason, but she, she says that she's kind of fascinated with him, which is, you know, I guess kind of makes sense. Cause he seems to have some, some interesting mm -hmm. stuff that he's up to, but then we make this jump and all of a sudden, like they're basically separating. They have, they have kids They're yeah. you know, they're, but it sounds like they're drifting apart. And this was kind of one of my, I don't know, one of my things that I didn't necessarily love about this movie is it, it centers so much on the relationship, but I feel like we actually don't get to see like a lot of that so yeah i don't know what, what went wrong and uh, although it, it does have one of the best lines ever which is you know she's still crazy about him he's still crazy which i have yeah, had yeah. <laughs> opportunity to use in real life many times um yeah. but yeah yeah we don't know exactly was is it just that she just got tired of uh, you know she, she thought eventually he was going to warm up and no he, he's exactly what he's always been and it's 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 very hard being around someone who's unhappy you know, right. like, like if you're in a relationship with someone, 
your happiness has a plateau and it's how happy is that other person and however unhappy they are that's as happy as you're allowed to be and the terrifying thing is when you have children it, it continues you're pretty much only as happy as your unhappiest child which if you have a lot of kids can really be limiting it's you know it's a wonderful thing but yeah that's something you got to realize when you get into it so i don't know it's just it did it, i i felt like it just got to a point where she was the one doing all the work keeping this together and it's exhausting and and when she you know started maybe not working as hard he did not pick up the slack you know yeah. he, he and then that's it it's not like they're they're rushing toward divorce because something horrible happened it's just that she realized if she was if this was going to continue she was going to have to keep on working at it and being the only one working at it forever but yeah, she that, was he was the one who wanted the divorce not her that's the thing yeah i, I do you want to know my, my real thought on it my real thought yeah. is uh, patty chayefsky didn't care about her Patty <laughs> no really honestly i mean it, no no you're remember, right you're 100 russell right. had to stick with the script and and patty chayefsky only cared about the woo 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 um you know john c Lilly bullshit and that's what he wrote and she's i mean blair brown does a great job on a really underwritten character i think there's yeah. there's really mm -hmm. only one scene that gives her her character at least like something good and media to chew on and that's when she gets back from africa and she's talking about her research and yeah. she's walking around right. she's like look at this this is stuff i'm doing and and this is stuff i'm passionate about and I think that's the only really good scene written for her, sadly. There's um, another absolutely. scene with her when she, when she kind of has her little breakdown. Yeah. And oh, I love yeah, Blair yeah. Brown, but I don't think I don't think it's particularly well done, that sequence. Yeah. I don't think You're her performance the, is particularly good. Yeah, but I, yeah. I, I don't blame her performance for her performance. I think there's no way to make that dialogue work. It's, you know, where she's she's freaking out. You know, the, the enormity of the situation is hitting her but she's speaking Chayevsky and it doesn't ring true. It doesn't sound like a woman who's, you know, almost on the verge of losing her mind. It's a woman who's reading lines of dialogue that were written by someone who didn't understand the character. I think Ken Russell likes her character a lot. He does, he does write by her visually. And you know, the last scene of the movie, the last shot of the movie is not his face as you would expect. It's hers because in, you know, really in the end she gets what she wants. We, we think that he's learned a lesson from this. I don't know why we think that because, you know, or, or, you know, for that matter, listen, I, we'll, I guess we'll talk when we get to the ending, but this movie makes not a lick of sense. I can't give you any explanation for why things happen the way they do at, in the last scene and what we're supposed to get from that. But, but I think we're supposed to feel that everything's good, happily ever after. He understands now the ultimate truth is there is no ultimate truth. Oh my God. I'll take things people think the first time they smoke marijuana for ten, Art. <laughs> well, let's let, let's 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 jump back to where we were. We can come back and tear it apart later. I think, yeah, yeah, I think I think the frustrating yeah. thing about her character also is that she is basically supposed to be equally accomplished, equally intelligent, and yeah. equally as accomplished as him. I mean, she's you know when you really think about it, he is kind of doing this woo woo stuff, which obviously it, it you know kind of pans out for him, but. She, he's kind of, you know, he's going off on a vision quest and like, you know, searching in Mexico for these magical drugs. Like she's doing actual like field research, research in yeah. Africa, and you know, actually, you know, quote unquote, real actual scientific work. So it is kind of funny that she's like, she's still kind of like she's treated as as someone who's 
uh, or she's supposed to be someone who's very intelligent and uh, very accomplished. But then at the same time, she is just kind of this supporting character who's there to kind of, I don't know, take care of Eddie when when he needs her, Mm -hmm. which is kind of frustrating. But I mean, the movie is about him. So I guess that's understandable. But so, yeah, do we want to move on to uh, where things take a turn? And I I, I I point out one thing. If, If it weren't for the Blair Brown character, we would hate this guy. We would yeah. hate. She yeah. is. She yeah. is his. Not only is she his redeeming character in the plot, she's his redeeming character in the eyes of the audience. You know, that's true. It's, it's one of those cases. And, and again, I've known people in my life where it's like, I don't particularly like this guy, but I really like the person he's with. And if she thinks that he's, you know, worth having, uh, you know, I guess there must be something there I'm not seeing. So you'll give him a second chance. And sometimes right. you actually do kind of eventually figure out, okay, there is something here. It's not that she's crazy. But yeah, she's so she's absolutely although she's she is underused in the movie. Yeah, she's essential to this to this thing working as well as it does. So I guess we can move on and talk a little bit about the third trip. And I kind of want to say here, I actually didn't really do a lot of like research into what this movie was about. I was kind of going in blind. I kind of had a vague idea. So this is where the movie went from. Okay, yeah, this is interesting. We'll see what happens to me actually kind of sitting up and be like, hmm, okay, I think I know where this is going. I want to see what they're how they're going to pull this off. So, uh, this is after after Jessup returns from Mexico, and he's kind of trying to re- recreate these uh, you know these hallucinations that he was having, mm-hmm. but kind of control them in a in a more uh, scientific environment. So, is this where we want to? Well, we can talk about the third trip. Do we also want to talk about Charles Hayde a little bit as Mason Parrish? Yeah, yeah. Like kind of what I was saying earlier is I I like the dynamic between the three of them. I mean, you've got you've got they, you know they, they they butt heads, but they they're they're still friends and they respect each other. And he's like, damn it, you know, I'll, I got to keep an eye on you, got you idiots. You know, I'm gonna kind of keep mm-hmm. you guys in line. And he's he's the 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 skeptic. I mean, like I said, even in the very end, when he's faced with all this really weird shit that happens, he's like, yeah, no, the tank blew up. You know, and and you've got. You've got Bob Balaban who kind of fits in between the two. I mean, he's a skeptic at first, but then, you know, he ends up, you know, becoming a believer as it goes on. And you've got William Hurt who's just been buying into this shit from the very beginning. So I, I just kind of liked that dynamic. It felt real. It felt kind of natural. And I felt like I've known these kind of people. And I, I could, I like their, their chemistry. Yeah. Okay. The, th- the thing I really liked about the Mason Parrish character is he's a skeptic, but he to me is he's actually like a very he's a realistic skeptic like i feel like normally when you have a, a skeptic in one of these movies they, they they basically the writer interprets skepticism as someone who refuses to believe right. anything and no matter how much you know evidence you put in front of them it's you know basically that scully from the x-files where she you know right. she saw eight eight seasons of shit and she was still trying to be like <laughs> oh well maybe it was just you know whatever swamp gas they're more uh, but, gullible than the than the supposedly exactly. gullible people who believe who like you exactly. know a UFO lands and aliens come out and they get back in they fly away and the skeptic is the guy who's like well that's swamp gas like that is a thousand <laughs> times crazier than yeah. anything that the people who think they're aliens or time travelers or anything makes swamp gas what's wrong with you you're not a skeptic you're you're you just have a religion of disbelief yeah which the the thing I love about him is he definitely disbelieves and even like uh you know later in the movie he's still very very doubtful but at the same time like he is like instead of just just dismissing what Jessup is saying he's the guy who says okay well let's get you let's get you uh x-rayed 
and figure out what's going on. And then he's like pushing like, okay, yeah, we need, we need to actually have someone look at these x-rays. And so he's actually the one who's kind of pursuing the evidence and trying to figure out like what's actually going on. So, which I thought was uh, like a very refreshing tape take yeah. on the, the concept of scientific skepticism. Right. Uh, maybe, he's maybe, doubting maybe, Thomas. Yeah. Maybe, maybe because I identify with that because it's kind of like that, I don't know, kind of hopeful skepticism of, okay, I don't, I don't actually believe this, but let's pursue it and figure out what's actually happening. If it's not what, uh, you know, what, what, uh, what these other people think it is. So right, cause that yeah. makes, to me, that makes him a hero too. I always thought doubting Thomas gets no credit, but doubting Thomas to me was the hero of all the apostles because he's the one that people are going to believe because they, you know, everyone else is like, Oh, right. Raised from the dead. It was him. And like, and they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And this guy's like, yeah, I didn't believe it either. I totally didn't believe it, but then I did this and this. And I'm like, okay, okay, all right, this guy's like me. So yeah, hey, hey, just is a good actor. I loved him in Hill Street Blues. He's yeah. got that, he's got that working class attitude and accent and rough around the edges, but he's really yeah. smart. Yeah. So you feel like you know this guy's given no backstory, but I got a feeling he came from like a family of cops and teachers and custodians and construction workers, but his IQ was like greater than all of his siblings put together. You know, but he grew up with a lot of bullshit and, uh, you know, has gone on, still has that rough around the edges stuff. I mean, you know, if all the scientists get into a bar fight, he's going to be the last man standing pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, lo I love Charles Hayden in this movie. I, I actually had to go back and look because I was like, I, I feel like I've seen him and stuff. But um, I think the only other thing I've actually seen him in, and it's been a long time since I've seen this movie, so I probably don't remember him. But uh, he was also in Nightbreed. So oh, that was okay. kind of interesting. Oh, wow. I didn't also, realize that. Yeah, also uh, he's also become a director. Well, I was oh, gonna say yeah. he's he's done it. He's actually gone on to direct a lot of TV. In fact, he directed uh, an episode of probably one of the greatest TV shows of <laughs> all time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he directed episode three of Cop Rock. Happy Mother's <laughs> oh, Day. Oh, jeez. And uh, he also produced. Uh, he he also produced six episodes of Cop Rock. So. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, by the way, okay, side note, side note, because I don't think we mentioned it in the last episode, and I can't believe that we didn't. Uh, Paul McCrane, who is in the uh, the Blob remake, he was also in nine episodes of Cop Rock, so I just had to oh my mention God. that. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how I missed that in the last episode, but I had to, had to bring. But anyways, uh, yeah, so oh. Mason Parrish, love him, love the character, love this whole trip also because this is kind of like, we see a lot of weird imagery in the first couple of trips, but this, this one, I actually kind of like the fact that we actually don't see anything that Jessup is seeing. Pretty much the entire trip is just like related to us through the, uh, you know, through the intercom, basically, right. which I thought was kind of an interesting choice. Yeah, because that that fits in with what his 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 colleagues are. You know, that's how they're experiencing it. Right, right. Exactly. So you know, we're that's why they're like, position and yeah. So it's like okay, so it's just in his head. You know, he's not. You know, and and I like the the explanation of you know, look, he just he just had a seizure. You know. Till they go and they, they bring the x-rays to young John Lyricat. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and then it's like they bring it to uh, all I think it was the guy from Police Academy. And uh, um, he was all Punky Brewster, too, who's, who reads the actual x-ray. And he's like, this mm -hmm. man's a gorilla. So. <laughs> George Gaines. George yeah. Gaines, that's right. But, you know, we didn't mention Drew Barrymore was one of the uh, one of the Jessup yeah. kids. Yeah. Yeah. In her first, I believe her first film role. Yeah. Was it really? Yeah. Huh. And she was already, she was at that age, she was already taking almost as many drugs as Eddie Jessup was. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> well, it's kind of funny because I, 
I read that originally yeah. one of the or one of the directors that was considered for this movie was uh, Steven Spielberg, which, by the way, I think is really good that mm. he didn't direct this movie for many reasons. But yeah, so I thought that was kind of interesting. The the uh, the uh, dream sequences would have been a lot prettier with more lens oh, yeah. flare and uh, soft music. Hey, that music, by the way, the music in those dream sequences is like, oh yeah, cacophony. Yeah. You know, it it totally fits. We'll talk about the music as well. Yeah. Uh, no, no, it's it's also good because I think this uh this movie probably would have torpedoed his career and uh, yeah, <laughs> we yeah. be like, hey, remember that guy who directed Jaws and nothing else? <laughs> but yeah, so uh, kind of something I I'll, something else I wanted to mention about this sequence, uh, because we were talking about like the religious imagery at the at the kind of the beginning of the movie. So when Mason he he kind of takes the uh, he like wipes the blood away from his uh, Jessup's mouth because they you know supposedly it's you know he was eating some animal and that kind of manifested itself and they they think he just had like a a seizure or something but uh, then he goes down to like the the boiler room or whatever and throws that yeah. uh, that in the fire and I thought it was kind of interesting when I was watching it I was kind of, or I thought it was kind of weird because they kind of like they, they he like kind of uh pauses and just looks at the the uh the the thing what's burning and then i kind of remembered uh, maybe this is maybe i'm just making a random association here but that 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 shot i was i was thinking back and it was like in the first kind of trip dream sequence where he's kind of seeing yes. his father you see yes. the, uh, the shroud of turin and like bursting into flames Oh, and I yeah. was wondering, interesting. I, I, yeah, interesting. I don't know if I'm making a random uh, no association. I had here, not but... made that connection, but that's actually very wise. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's Ken Russell, so likely the connection is intentional. Yeah, right. well, and yeah. I probably wouldn't have thought of it except he like he like stops on that shot for like a good five or six seconds. Right. And otherwise, that whole sequence seems kind of pointless. Exactly. Exactly. Oh well, so, see, I, yeah. I took it as I took it as he took it, and he's like, okay you know, Jessup's going to want me to try to analyze this and see if it's goat blood. And that's just ridiculous bullshit. <laughs> right. So the best thing, I, if I could just, if I just get rid of it, then, right. and then he threw it in kind of like, Oh wait, maybe I sh- should have analyzed it. Just yeah. Because, like he's just, cause I think he's a skeptic, but like you said, I think he's a hopeful skeptic. Like he kind of wants to believe like at the very yeah. end, even you can kind of almost hear it in his voice of, of he's trying to convince himself that, yeah, it's just the shit blew up. Yeah. Or, but, or so maybe, Oh, sorry. Yeah, no, I was going to say, maybe even a like, hopeful skeptic isn't even, I think, I think uh, uh, to put it a different way, he's the guy who he's skeptical, but he actually does want to get at the truth, even if the truth doesn't mm-hmm. end up being what, like, he's actually okay with being proven wrong, which is, yeah. you know, something that, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of, a lot of scientists or some scientists, uh, you know, are, don't necessarily follow that uh, philosophy. Right. So that's an, and yeah. I think like, like Emily, you've got to be really smart to appreciate Eddie Jessup, you know, and that this guy is smart enough to understand that this guy's crazy, he's self-destructive, but he's brilliant. And therefore, you know, you're willing to take chances. I, you know, I took the, the burning, the blood and everything. At this point, he's just seen his career go up in smoke. That if word of this gets out, that he's any part of this craziness where, you know, someone gets hurt, has to go to the hospital, police ask questions and everything. There's no way of spinning this in a positive way. So he's just getting rid of the, you know, is just going on instinct. Let's just bury this. But yeah, but he's, but you know, I, he does, you know, why does he even keep continuing with this? Because although he's a skeptic, he is beginning to see things he can't explain. And he can explain most things. Yeah. He even, so, he even says, uh, he, he talks about how, like how many qualifications he has. 
as a as a doctor. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, that well, again. What the ridiculous shouting them out? You know? <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a PhD in this and an AD. I got a BLT in the oven. I got a yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I I do like the fact though, and again, like coming into this movie kind of fresh and not knowing what to expect. I do like the fact that like at this point, as a viewer, we're actually not sure which way to believe because you know obviously he a lot of the things that they're saying like yeah this could be explained by him having a seizure or whatever and then like going beyond this like he starts to like he has the sequence where he's uh you know he's in the 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 apartment with a woman and he like goes into the 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 bathroom and he takes a shower and he looks down and he like you know but he sees his feet. He's got six toes all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. but it's like that's probably him hallucinating. So even at this point, like we have the the uh, the radiologist or whatever saying like, oh yeah, this guy's a goddamn gorilla. But other than that, there's actually no real like firm evidence, and we don't know if the thing that you know he's seeing or saying that he sees are just hallucinations or something else. Mm-hmm. So that would be the way to bet. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Do we want to uh, kind of move on to? Uh, some of the the <laughs> the really interesting parts of the film for me at least <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i think uh you know we've been talking about a lot about the 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 dialogue i did want to kind of touch on that a little bit like the things that i i do i, I mean i actually think that this film is brilliant how the dialogue is done i think it does a lot of things that a lot of films don't do or are afraid to do and it gives it a very very like realistic kind of vibe because it's Mm -hmm. people shouting over each other people talking over each other which happens in real life people the way that people talk while they're doing things like people you know when you're having a conversation especially if you're at dinner or at a party like you're not just sitting there talking to someone usually you're you're doing something you're moving around you're getting a drink you're eating something and it's like every time like people have a conversation in this movie they're not just sitting there talking which i i thought was actually really authentic Mm -hmm. and which i understand that chasky really hated but you know, yeah. it, to me, it actually makes it work. And then the other thing I really wanted to mention that I love is when she comes back, they're kind of having that conversation back and forth in the uh, the apartment or whatever. And they're kind of like shouting past each other, or like talking over each other, or like one person's mm-hmm. talking and the other person doesn't hear them. So, the, you know, she starts like yelling over him or calling, you know, from the other room. But I don't know. It's like very, very minor stuff. But like watching this and, you know, I knew a little bit about the kind of the background of that just bill from you kind of telling you know mm-hmm. telling me about it but i did i did actually love the fact that you know i understand chayefsky hated the the fact that you know he felt like ken russell was basically butchering his and that's a funny thing like ken <laughs> russell says yeah i didn't change a single line like everything in the script right but chayefsky thought that he was still finding a way to basically butcher his script while still delivering every single line which is kind of interesting. And, and he was he was but you know you, sometimes you got to butcher a cow to make a steak it, it, this this screen this screenplay and i'm usually on the side of the writers because often they're just horribly treated but this screenplay needed trimming and if trimming wasn't allowed then you had to come up with an alternative and they did because this would have been a ridiculously long movie with long stretches of obscure dialogue i like characters that are intelligent but it was overkill. We, we, okay, we get it. They're really smart, and they're talking about stuff that no audience is meant to understand. We get it. Now, I, I fear if they ever remake this movie, I'm kind of surprised they haven't. Uh, if they ever remake this movie, you're going to see a dumbing down like you can't imagine. When you compare this 
movie to the one that will eventually get remade, ugh, it's going to be ugly. You know, uh, and, and I'll, I can see their point. It's like uh, audiences couldn't get this back then, and they certainly won't get it now. But, yeah, so it's of its time, and, and we have to appreciate it because there's not going to be another one like this anytime soon. Yeah. Well, that killed the conversation. No, no, no. Yeah. I, I just, I, yeah. I don't really have a lot more to say about that, but uh, yeah, I just, I don't know. I was, I was, I was actually kind of refreshed by the mm-hmm. way that, the way that he, that Ken Russell was kind of treating the dialogue as, you know, very like, and I, I know that you, like you mentioned it being rushed. I actually don't, I, I don't think that it doesn't feel artificially rushed. That's the thing. Like when you told me that, I remember yeah. you telling me about this movie like a long time ago and be like, Oh yeah, you say everyone's trying to rush through the lines. But at the same time, when people are very excited and kind of worked yeah. up, it's like, which is basically like 70% of this movie is people being excited and worked up about something. And right, that's right. actually how people talk. So uh, and, and no, no, you're right. I mean, it, it, by rushed, I don't mean to me, the dialogue should be rushed. Can you imagine saying, you know, when they get into some of these long, almost monologues of paragraphs of scientific jargon, can you imagine them trying to say it the way an actor usually does with inflection on particular words? This is almost like, you know, the stuff you say when your mind is racing and you're trying to get it out faster, right, as fast right. as your mind is, you know, coming along. Because if you don't, if you don't talk fast, your your brain's going to get ahead of you and then you're just going to stand there, dur, dur, dur. you know, that that's it. You know, when you get really excited about something, I see comic book nerds acting like <laughs> this when they're talking about their, you know, Marvel versus DC or something. The dialogue is, is verbatim it's, it's, and, and they're talking over each other and it's, and they're not even listening to their own words. They're on like some kind of weird autopilot. Well, yeah, you, you were you were mentioning about the mumbling too, which I thought was kind of interesting because that really reminds me of someone like when someone's talking and trying to work something out, but then they kind of like go from talking to someone to kind of almost like talking to themselves. Yeah, which yeah. is like you know when someone is you know so try to work out a difficult problem or something. Which I thought there were a couple of points here where someone like you know he would be kind of mumbling or he'd be like saying these very kind of like scientific lines and yeah sure mm-hmm. it actually doesn't matter what he's saying though because the way that he's delivering it was kind of perfect because he was kind of going that 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 inwardly like he's not even talking to someone he's kind of talking to himself um so yeah i don't know i kind of like that but uh do we want to talk about uh speaking about uh you know going from talking to uh maybe we should talk about jessup going from a guy who likes to talk a lot to a guy who uh can't talk at all because maybe we can talk about the the fourth and uh, fifth trips in this movie, mm. which are uh, where things start to get pretty interesting, in my opinion. Yes. I'm an ape man. I'm an ape ape man. <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I had no idea where this movie was going, and I thought it was, you know, kind of interesting that they they start to uh, they start to tease out like maybe there is something going on. Maybe he's just crazy. We don't really mm-hmm. know. I appreciate the fact that with this uh, this fourth trip that he goes on. He, uh, they basically go all in pretty quickly on it. Yeah, they do. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. Renee, what are you, what are your thoughts on? Uh, I believe he's credited as Primal Man, which is my new favorite superhero. Oh yeah. man, it, it. I don't even know how to describe it because it was just like the, you know, it's like this movie's kind of bonkers, and then it got a little more bonkers, <laughs> and then it just like went off the rails bonkers, mm-hmm. but like in a completely entertaining way, mm-hmm. and it was just like so funny but bizarre and when he's like 
like parkouring through the streets. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh man, that was <laughs> it was just so weird but great. I like yeah. it. Here, so here's here's my thing, and I think I think we're on the same wavelength here. So this whole sequence should be totally like I, you should be laughing through this whole thing, right? Like it should it should be just totally ridiculous. It should be laughable. It should kill the movie. I found myself I, I I don't know how I don't know why, but I found myself like just totally transfixed by this whole sequence. Yes, like totally transfixed <laughs> because because he tells his story. I mean, he is telling. This this story of of this you know her c- coming back as this primal man, who then proceeds to like you almost see him like trying to like understand like he like he see he's almost learning he like he sees the guy throwing stuff at the dogs and the dogs are coming at him and he starts throwing stuff at him and then he's trying to like you know he goes to the zoo and he's like drinking and he starts like you know yelling at the elephant I don't know it's all very ridiculous but I don't know there's something just there's just something very transfixing about this whole sequence uh i, I do have to mention miguel uh Gaudreau, i believe is how you pronounce his name as the primal yeah. man i think he actually has a lot to do with it because so this guy was he's, a dancer. he's great yeah oh, okay makes sense dancer, yeah dancer by trade in fact if you go go look up pictures of him he has like a dancer's body like he he's just i mean he looks like the sort of person like he's in just phenomenal shape and he obviously like had uh miguel Gaudreau. yeah and he's i mean he's just like he looks like pure muscle and it's like you know if you're if you're a dancer i mean you know people underestimate just how powerful those people's bodies are and i was yeah i was kind of like it seemed like there was there was not a, I mean, there's obviously like if this uh, bill you're talking about, if they remake this movie, if they remake yeah. this movie today, it'll be all CGI. It'll be. Oh, absolutely. Captured. And it'll look but, like crap. Oh, but, yeah. by the way, Renee, you might enjoy his performance in 1981's For Ladies Only. Oh, oh my God. a young oh, man from yes. Iowa comes to New York hoping to make it as an actor, but he doesn't get a break. So uh, he becomes a stripper that stars <laughs> Gregory Harrison, Mark Singer and Patty Davis, the president's daughter. So, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. There you go. Fantastic. I'm yep. in. Join he us plays the sheik. <laughs> <Do you join? laughs> no, I think this is the best ape man that's ever been done because well, he physically looks the part. He's in a full costume, and that usually adds about 50 pounds. So if you have a normal body type, you're just going to look like a Michelin man. But no, it's, it's um, I mean, it's, he's naked the whole time. and yeah. But he does look, I mean, he's human, but he's got the right kind of, um, you know, he looks like he could be. A, I don't know what that would be. Like a pro- earlier yeah. than Cro Magnon, proto human. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, one of these is someone just walking on the dust of old Dubai. You know, and and, and it, it's it's a good portrayal, and the eyes are right. I mean, you know, I don't I don't see it as an obvious makeup effect. Right. I'm and a little. What, what okay. I like about it is that. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No, I was, no, I was just gonna what? say that. The, <laughs> ha, all right, I'm jumping in. What I, what I like about that sequence too is the the beginning of it is genuinely scary. I mean, mm-hmm. you see his hand come out. Yeah. And you're like, okay, that's fucked up. We saw his feet fucked up before. Yeah. But you don't see him, and you see like the is it the security act? He's yeah. like the, the janitor. The janitor. And going down, and it the section. It, what it reminds me of is it reminds me a bit of the scene from American Werewolf in London with mm. on the London Underground oh, because yeah. you don't oh, yeah, see call. a lot like. The, the door opens and you see just the shadow of the guy. And then you see him like at one point you see him running down the hall and you see just the shadow of of the primal man chasing after him. 
like you don't see him full force till like till later. You know, it takes a bit to get to the point where you see him, and it's just terrifying because you're like, wait, what the fuck? And it's it's just dark, and it's 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 a genuinely scary sequence. That mm-hmm. first part of it. Now, once once he beats the shit out of the two guys, then it, it kind of changes. Because then you're more focused on him, and you're more like, oh, shit, what's going to happen to him now? But this first sequence, you're like, oh, fuck. Is he going to kill these people? In fact, you don't know till till later. Right. In fact, he, he thinks didn't. he did. You know, right, right. That he, yeah, so it's... it's which I, that I, actually I speaks have... to the character, too, because you're like, well, gee, I, he kind of like yeah, I, 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 later, I, I think I might have killed somebody. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, luckily, it was a working shit. class person, probably not <laughs> a lot of potential. So, yeah, um, yeah, I got I, the one the one that I guess what bothered me a little bit about I think it goes on a little long because um, and it is such a weird tonal shift from the rest of the movie that that's that's interesting. And I'll give him credit for doing that. It kind of reminded me of uh, one of my favorite bad movies, uh, The Last Days of Man on Earth or the final countdown uh, based on a Michael Moorcock uh, story. And it's, it's all about this, I don't know, conspiracy group that are trying to create the ultimate human by blending this hero guy with this woman scientist to create a hermaphrodite savior of the earth. And they do all that. And it ends up, he turns into a caveman and then sort of uh, dances off the screen. It's one of the most bizarre movies you'll ever see. I've made it sound way more logical than it is. The, the idea that you know the ultimate man goes back to being a caveman. Um, I, I, in this one, at least they explain he's trying to go back to that first human, and you know he should have seen this coming. He's lucky it didn't go all the way back to a tadpole or something. Well, that that's what happens next. Yeah, it's kind of kind of that. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, but then, I mean, then we go into the the last act where I don't understand. I don't really get it. You know. <laughs> Well, but it's pretty. I, Lots of lights. And I have, and... I have kind of a yeah. Speaking of lights and, and ape men, I did, I did have another thing that I kind of wanted to mention. That's probably just t- totally in my head, but it, in ways it seems like this movie is maybe a little bit of an answer to two thousand and one, and maybe oh, I'm yeah. just making these comparisons because okay, you got the ape men and like that scene, like I was saying, like that where he starts to realize like oh I can you know throw throw something at the dogs or whatever to keep them away and. That and the and then the fact that the end sequence is that kind of like trippy light show type thing, mm-hmm. but it's like you know whereas two thousand one's about going beyond the stars, this is about going kind of you know into ourselves or or back to our original selves or whatever. So it's almost like the the uh, the opposite of two thousand one in ways. But I don't know. Maybe I'm just maybe I'm just drawing the comparisons because you know ape men. But I don't know. <laughs> And, and Paul's right about the American world in London thing. Also, you know, waking up naked in a zoo. Isn't that right? Oh, that's true. American yeah. Werewolf? Yeah. Mommy, a naked American man stole my balloons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I, I This was where this is where I was really kind of sold on the movie. I mean, I was I was enjoying it up until this. But yeah, this whole sequence. I mean, it's crazy. It should be it should be laughable. It should be just total cheese. But for some reason, I, they somehow he pulled it off in a way that's actually kind of uh i don't know it was kind of compelling i think is the word i'm looking for on the one i'm grasping out here it was, it was compelling so i don't know any any other thoughts on primal man jessup or do we want to talk about that final that final sequence well again for me it was more just his reaction to the whole thing where he was kind of like just he it, it was interesting because he was he should have been terrified and horrified mm-hmm. what happened and that and he was more fascinated by it. 
Like it was, it was. Kind of, you could hear like the fascination voice. Like I, I think I almost killed a man too, and and this, and this was kind of, and it was this fascinating kind of, and he was just fascinated by it. With like at first I was going, well that's bullshit, and then I realized, no, wait a second, I've actually had like things happen before, where like you look at your own body, something weirdish going on, but you're like, I should be terrified, but this is fascinating. So like there's the puberty, like. <laughs> well, no, no. This is this is weirder. Like my my index finger, a few nights ago, a couple months ago, all of a sudden it was tingly, and then all of a sudden mm-hmm. it got bone white, and I could see the blood draining out of it. And I'm thinking, Jesus, oh shit, do I have some sort of, do I have some sort of clot? Am I having a stroke? Well, I wouldn't have a stroke, this but am I having a clot? I'm like, do I need to yeah. go wake up Shelly and ever take me to the hospital? But of course, first thing I did was look online. And right. it's what it is, is it's just a, um, you know, your, your extremities, when you get cold, will, the, the blood vessels will constrict. Well, there's a certain syndrome. Occasionally, it's often if you use too much. Of course, this is my mouse clicking finger, and I'd been playing a lot of an action RPG um, where I do a lot of clicking. And my especially if you finger. do things like that. Yeah, my clicking finger. <laughs> the, it over, it over um, reacts and over constricts. And so, but the whole time I'm looking at it, it's called like corpse finger or wax finger. Oh, Jesus. And, and if I, I should have been horrified, but instead I was utterly fascinated. I'm like, this is really cool. And I kept poking at it and looking oh, at it uh-huh. and like bending it and going, but no, this is, it's cold. Stop. And I was so, it was, it was I, I can actually see that. I've had that happen before too, where I had like this, it was, I think it was a food allergy. I'm not sure it happened once. It happened twice where I got just these horrendous hives just broke out. And again, you could see them crawling across my body almost. And where I should have been terrified, I was fascinated by it instead. And so I could, I could see that I could see that in his performance of, he should have been terrified by this, but instead he's like, this is fascinating. Like I reverted to this other thing physically. And, and I seem to remember running with the dogs and, Almost beating a man to death. So maybe that explains like his, hmm. his behavior. So anyway. I just yeah. want to oh. say for those at home, if you ever look up symptoms online and the word corpse is in the <laughs> name, you might want to call the doctor. Right, don't be like Paul here. It's like, this is fascinating. But that, that, I, that does sound like a, a term that originated in like 19th century England. It's like, oh, he's got a yeah. case of the corpse finger. Yeah, corpse <laughs> finger. That's better than creeping rot death. <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah, I, I did. I did uh, also think it was kind of interesting that there is a certain element here of like body horror, where uh, mm-hmm. I think this is where the the Dick Smith effects come in, especially where he'll be like yeah. looking at his arm or something, and it'll be like it'll look like the uh, the the bone and the sinew is like trying to rearrange right. itself. So I I just want to say that this is basically the invention of uh, I don't know if it's the first time it was ever used, but the first time it was used to this extent of bladder effects. Um. Yeah. Where it, Smith was inventing just a cool idea that's been used a gazillion times since. I've used it. You know, that's how common it's become. But yeah, it never, seldom is such a good effect. Smith was just really good. Usually when you see bladder effects, it's pretty obvious, um, you know, where the fake skin is and where the real one isn't. He just was really, really good at what he does, at what he did. And, and you know, I think he might have been a little upset at how much of his stuff got obscured here but i think it's effective um and i and i do i do believe you know especially when we start getting into the next sequence and the one after that as cool as the makeups were of him kind of like dissolving blend you know blobbing in where his one arm is actually absorbed by his body and everything 
without the lighting and, and special effects and everything, it, it still might've looked just like a suit, you know, the, the light and everything took it to that next level that there's something cosmic going on. And we've been trained by Marvel comics. Cosmic means lots of shiny special effects and 2001 lights and all kinds of things. So I, I, I really like, I really like the effects in this and, and, you know, when we start getting into the cosmic stuff, I think I honestly think it looks like an Alka-Seltzer dropped into a yeah. <laughs> colored oil, but that's okay. It's a cool look, you know? Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, can I also just mention one other thing that kind of kind of struck me here? And uh, we should we're talking about like a lot of the cinematography or a lot of the the images here. And I do want to mention. So this was uh, shot by Jordan Cronenworth, who uh, he, he had a couple of really interesting things on his resume because he had a he had shot rolling thunder which was one of my mm. favorite mm. like 70s oh, revenge yeah. films oh and yeah then, uh, good one. yeah he would go on to shoot uh blade runner and he also shot uh stop making sense which was uh, jonathan demi's wow heads documentary yeah so uh apparently he Rain. he's got a good range boy yeah yeah so it's oh uh he had uh th- oh god I, I didn't write it down but uh i'm gonna go by memory here but i believe it was actually in the early 80s that he started suffering from Parkinson's. I, I didn't know this, but mm. apparently he mm. was originally, he, he was the original cinematographer for Alien 3, but he had to be replaced because it was just getting oh, too bad at that shame. point. But yeah, so, but yeah, obviously he's got, uh, you know, just based on just those couple of movies alone in this, I mean, yeah, he's obviously got, uh, you know, phenomenal talent. And the one of the things I wanted to mention, though, just speaking of the, like the way the film is shot, and one of the shots that I actually kind of jumped out at me is when Mason after like he kind of gets uh I guess he you know he's in jail and she Emily comes and gets him out of jail and takes him home but then Mason shows up and she's like talking to him and Eddie's like in the hallway do you guys remember the shot at all where like he is it's 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 kind of interesting to me because it's almost like the reverse of the shot where she first Mm. sees him but he is in the hallway and he is just like completely in shadow like you only yes. see a silhouette and i thought mm. that was creepy as hell first of all yes yeah that's when uh Hade came over right uh Ma- uh well i think it was mason wasn't yeah. it? yeah was it mason somebody yeah. came over to the house yeah it was good that was good so yeah that that was kind of interesting to me and I, I don't know if i'm like reading too much into that but i you know the fact that when she first sees him he's like basically silhouetted in light it's nothing but light behind him and then in this shot it's just like him and he's he's completely in shadow, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, do we want to move on to uh, to this final this final sequence? And uh, this is where we can actually figure out what the hell this movie is about. Oh sure, <laughs> Bill. Bill, you can tell me what this nice movie sure. is about. Yeah, because... I'll, I'll get right on that. <laughs> I mean, really, this is this is really kind of like two sequences here. We have the one where he inexplicably he goes back in the tank because that worked out so well the last time and then <laughs> suddenly it's poltergeist time where yeah. he's able to bend steel and with his mind and all and we met then she manages to bring kind of like reconstitute him with the power of love or love, something love yeah yeah and 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 that's and that's where you know you would think they would end it but no we got that one more now it's just like with every jekyll hyde story there comes the point where jekyll can no longer control turning into mr hyde he doesn't need the medicine anymore he doesn't need the chamber it's just going to happen yeah and that that's when we get the real cool effects at the end so well i think he goes back in because you know he still doesn't quite believe it happened no one's i mean 
the the security guard and the the janitor saw him sort of but they've had mm-hmm. massive head trauma but no one else actually saw yeah. him as the as as yeah. as the as the primal man and so he's not entirely you know he, he thinks it happens but he's not entirely certain and his friends are like we want proof of it so i think that's why yeah. he goes back in um which i actually i love during that whole sequence where bob balaban just is like transfixed by like looking at the monitor like oh yeah it's one of the few laugh you know purposeful laugh out loud moments where he just sort of like falls you know yeah the audience cracked up at that because this movie has a lot of ridiculous stuff that there was nervous laughter in the movie and there you know people were laughing at, at some part they didn't howl at it or anything but um probably could have used a few more deliberate funny bits in there but you know again they can't write jokes in the middle of a chayevsky script without getting all kinds of trouble for it it's actually interesting though bill you mentioned jekyll and hyde and when i was was reading about the background on this movie and i uh if i remember correctly i I think that they that like when they wrote it or they came up with the the concept for it they were talking about like both frankenstein and jekyll and hyde and like this, this movie, which is kind of funny, because like even before I read that, when I was watching this, I was like, this is in a way, I guess, kind of an updated Frankenstein type story, just in the sense of, of you know, man using science that he doesn't understand to create something he doesn't understand. But in this case, it is that that more of that Jekyll and Hyde thing, because he's kind of using it on himself. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting uh, kind of parallel. But yeah. It, you know what it actually reminds me of? It, it actually reminds me of uh, From Beyond. Uh, not the because here you have the it's it's it it's more in you know uh, the Lovecraft story slash the her, the the Stuart Gordon film of it. Yeah. Um, because again, both those you know we start off thinking well it's it's science fiction, but I think this this really this film isn't really science fiction. It isn't. It I think I would put it more in. The realm of weird fiction, which is what how Lovecraft self-identified, um, and I think it it fits in that realm because weird fiction is sort of an overlap of sci-fi, horror, fantasy, and it's that same idea with in From Beyond. Here you have people who are using tuning forks, especially in the novel, in yeah. the short story, short story, using tuning forks to to open up a, a you know to stimulate your pineal gland, and you can see this this parallel dimension here. He's using you know drugs and and meditation basically to to open up this sort of this this pathway back to original principles so it's the same kind of thing where it's like you can't really call it hard science fiction no matter how much patty chayefsky wanted it to be hard science fiction it's it's more that sort of that sort of weird 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 uh fiction is how i kind of took it and so that's i saw like the parallels between the two of those and maybe also the, the makeup doesn't hurt that it looks you got the kind of blobby Blobby yeah, I, I always I always thought that too. the From Beyond monsters looked very much like uh, Jessup as he's starting to go into protoplasm. Oh yeah, whatever yeah, is very much. Him. Yeah, yeah. So here's my question: Yeah, what what the hell do we think he's becoming in that chamber? Because we have we have the scene yeah. where like Emily's like looking at the thing and she sees this like pulsating mm-hmm. membrane or something. Like, do we think he's supposed to be coming? a like an actual organism or is this some sort of like metaphysical like some some uh manifestation of this like almost pre-physical state of being 
That, that's how I took it. I took it, and especially because done the dialogue, he basically says, "There's, there's, it's basically nothing, right? There's nothing. He's, it's, it's devolving back to nothingness." Um, is the way I kind of took it. So prebiotic, like you said, metaphysical, and the the giant toilet bowl effect is is <laughs> you know with the, the the swirling is because it's going back into a, a state of nothingness, and that ties into like to me what what he eventually sees is you know he was searching for God and he finds mm-hmm. because he felt there was nothing and he kind of confirms to himself wait there really is nothing but then all right to give meaning the only thing I that give me meaning is my time with you the time that I have with you yeah. is the way I kind of took it um and so that's how I kind of took it as it was his he was just devolving like you said into a prebiotic metaphysical but almost into to the the terror of nothingness and that's what his dad had mm. seen and that's and i i don't i mean i only watched it again a couple of days ago but i i, I forget that dialogue because it's at the end and of course the dialogue gets kind of it's it was more about the visuals really for for um, yeah. the feeling for, and, for... The, and there is a, a line of scientific thought which i don't understand that the universe was created from nothing and I, I don't mean, you know, just, I mean, that literally, if not, if there is nothing, it creates the, nothing creates the conditions required for the singularity that creates everything. And it's, you know, you hear really intelligent people talking about this and and, and it's kind of like, you know, this is Jessup here. It's like, this is, this is gobbledygook. This is crap. This is, but, but it may be true just because it's garbage doesn't mean it's not true. We're we're three dimensional creatures living in a reality that may have many dimensions, none of which we can perceive or even really understand, unless you're you know, you know Stephen Hawkins or something, and most of us aren't. So, you know that that's an interesting thing. If you're trying to to get some logic out of this, it's totally not going to work. I mean, he's he's regressing back. I can I can get the thing. Okay, he's regressing back to a caveman because life is linear. It has you know, every living thing has parts of the first living thing. So yeah, you can, you can come up with an idea that your DNA still holds memories of being a dinosaur or something and go back to that. It's silly, but it, but it's logical. But how you, how does a, a brain on any, even the best drugs, even the really good stuff that costs you some serious coin, how's that going to take you back to a pre-existence of the universe itself and, and turn you into a, creature that can touch your wife and turn her into this you know, what is happening yeah, what even was that what? <laughs> oh yes why well, why did why did it do that to her i could i could understand if it just turned her into a big pile of dust or something but no she turned into a, a superhero this is this is like the origin story <laughs> of a marvel superhero well again <laughs> again I, I think you know when you're dealing with ken russell it's best to go in and and look at things almost as as a um you know, you could almost say a tone poem. You just don't. You don't necessarily want to look at what's the what it logically means, yeah. right? Um, but again, but then you're dealing with a script by Patty Chayefsky, who right. thought, it, who really, you know, like I said, believed the woo, and I think really completely from the other end of the spectrum. Um, and so I think that's that's kind of the what makes it kind of interesting and fun yeah. to watch is for you to scratch your head over going. What the fuck does this mean? And it and going. I don't think they put the shit in here just to be intentionally what the fuck. I think, you know, 
each person who was working out probably had their own idea of what the fuck this meant. And they all probably were different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah. knowing that that's there is kind of neat as opposed to, hey, we just intentionally made weird shit. Yeah. So Well, that, that end sequence is kind of interesting in the sense that I, th- I think, Bill, you mentioned this earlier. Like, they could have just ended the movie with – because she basically goes into this void – and mm-hmm. like pulls him back out and looking him. angelic looking like oh man yeah. that, she just looks so beautiful so beautiful hair blowing there's buzz going mm-hmm. dust stardust going out in the background i mean just an angelic view of, of a i've always i find her very attractive and, and in a way that is is my particular thing i love women who look smart i don't know if she is or not i'm gonna guess that she is because she plays a smart person very well that probably, you know, I mean, obviously, the fact that Anthony Hopkins plays a cannibal well doesn't mean that he's a cannibal. But <laughs> some doesn't mean he's not. You know, yeah. if I had to make a list of like the most beautiful actresses ever, it'd be people like Diana Rigg and and Blair. The people they're not necessarily going to win beauty pageants, but that's because the ones who win beauty pageants have that stamp, technically perfect. They're very symmetrical. There's no flaws or anything, and there's nothing going on. There's nothing interesting behind their eyes. They're just very pretty. They don't you know, take anything away from, them, but they don't give out that you know, intelligence. And she does. That's why she plays. She works so well for this character. You totally believe she's an anthropologist. Um, right. It's just a beautiful sequence. And yeah, they could have ended it right there. The power of love brought him back and everything's fine. But thank God they didn't do that, that they tacked on this ending as crazy pants as it is. It was absolutely necessary. And we would not have gotten take on me. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, th- I think also because that's that's like really the only part where his character character has like oh, yeah. that's Finally, like his the end of that's his character arc. Yeah, he's like he's like oh wow, I went and saw you know whatever I saw, whether it was nothingness or little droplets mm-hmm. of oil. I don't know what the fuck it is. Like kind of like a fried egg that kept expanding. Yeah, uh, it's right. Hard yeah. To describe. yeah, and well, and you know you pulled me out of the toilet. And, yeah, yeah. and and now I realize that, okay, there is nothing. I've been searching for meaning and truth, and there is no meaning and truth. There's no meaning and truth except the only truth comes from my love for you. Yeah. But you, well, but it, but we we would not gotten that. We would have just got that she pulled right. a piece of shit out of the toilet because yeah. that's what he was. Yeah. Until then. And he's still oh, that's very shit. very metaphorical. Now, I mean, yeah. I will say maybe that's least, the meaning. So yeah, at least with the the actual end sequence, we do get to see uh, Blair Brown's ass, which uh, to me is very transcendental. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, but um, I think I think yeah. I, so this is actually where I kind of want to talk about kind of I, I think my biggest caveat with this film. I like I like the you know the story. I actually you know even the unlikable characters are kind of likable in the sense that I don't know I I kind of believe them as characters and so I think this film has a lot going for it. I actually hate this ending, and this is going to go back to kind of something I mentioned at the top or early on where so yeah the the ultimate message here is that he I guess you know signed nothingness and he was kind of rescued by his relationship with her. Mm-hmm. But my problem, I think really here is that we don't really get to see a whole lot of that relationship. And we don't like, we were talking right. before about, we don't know what he sees in her, but we also, I mean, yeah, we, I, we should see what he sees it or, or we don't, sorry, we don't see what she, yeah, she sees in him and we should see what he sees in her because her character is like very likable and everything. But at the same time, like it seems like this weird, like, 
we don't see all of the things that she's done for him and sacrificed for him necessarily. Right. We know it. We know it because obviously she has. But I don't know. It, it just kind of, to me, it kind of feels like a very pat, like, okay, well, of course, like at the end, these two people love each other and love right. save them. So I don't know. I think that's actually my biggest problem with this film is that, yeah, he came back from metaphys- metaphysical nothingness to be with her. And I was not sold on that relationship I in either direction <laughs> throughout the film. Yeah. Renee, Renee, and, I and I've read some criticism of it from that standpoint. I read, read one review and I was not exactly sold on the review, but it was based because, because the reviewer, I don't know if the reviewer realized it, but he was coming off kind of scary here. Like, you yeah. know, he sees Jessup as a hero and he's fighting yeah. against the heteronormative expectations of society. But then in the end, the movie chickened out and had him redeemed by his love for this mere woman. And I'm like, okay, dude, God. you got issues. Uh, yeah. yeah, but um, yeah, it, it is pretty pat, but you know, you got to send him home happy. Um, yeah, so my, my feeling was that he, he always saw her as an obstacle in his search for truth, that, you know, marriage and family and, and all this other stuff is just a distraction from, you know, letting him do what he needs to do. And so... Then in the end, he realizes there is no ultimate answer, and the only thing that has any meaning was this thing that he saw as an obstacle was really the answer. Okay, that, it's, it's it is pretty patty when you say it out loud. Yeah, but. I mean, I, yeah, to, I mean, and to be fair, like you would have probably had to sacrifice something because I actually do think this is, even though it feels like we're missing a lot of stuff, it does feel like as a film, it's very it's very well paced. Like I do, mm. I do like the fact that it's kind of centered around these these trips that he's having but it's also like it's at an hour and 40 minutes that's you know already kind of on fast forward because of the way the way the dialogue is delivered <laughs> like how much longer would you have you probably would have had to tack on another 30 or 40 minutes to kind of flesh that relationship out and i don't know if it would have, so yeah i don't know i'm kind of conflicted uh renee it sounded like you were like nodding over there what what are your thoughts totally on the, was uh, nodding. <laughs> the jessup the jessup uh marriage here oh man yeah i don't know Oh, man. He I'm just, I don't know. It's, you know, I just remember that one scene in the earlier on where he's like, well, you know, I kind of suck, but I think I'd be an okay husband. And it's like, oh, like you just don't think any better of this poor woman. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, yeah, and I remember that. End, yeah. Um, I will say his speech to her was, was pretty great. He had a, mm-hmm. his expression, his delivery was really good outstanding oh man but yeah god those those hokey endings it's like oh the power of love mm-hmm. well you know it, it can be done it can be done well honestly there i've i've seen it where a similar message is is told and is done really well feels organic doesn't feel hokey Right, but, this, but that's that, the, yeah, that's the, my that was not the case here. here. Yeah, yeah, that's my that, criticism. Yeah. I I have yeah. seen I have seen films where I buy it. There there's actually a movie that at some point we we're going to talk about. You guys have probably never seen it or heard of it, but it is one of my favorite films of all time. And it, at the core, actually has a romance that uh, is very believable to me. But uh, we'll get to that Sallow? another time. Nolio's <laughs> <laughs> hanging. What's no, the name of the movie? Cali- Caligula. No, no, no. I'll, we'll get to it at some point. We'll get to it at some Wait, point. No, but... no. You gotta tell me the name of the movie. Oh no, I'll, I'll tell you later. I don't want to spoil it. Um, it's geez. it's one. Okay. No, no. It's let me let me put it this way, Bill. It's one I've been saving because it is kind of my altered states in terms of Uh-oh. how much I love Uh-oh. it and how much it means oh, wow. to me. So, yeah. Oh. And I even said I even in like Fifth Element they have that power of love thing. I enjoyed it even more. I'm 
enjoyed it more in that movie because at least in that movie there actually did seem to be some sort of like chemistry. And there was something there. Yeah, at least yeah. for a yeah, little like, that it was that's for, because, versus this. Yeah, Corbin Dallas is a likable character, whereas mm. like Eddie, Eddie just as a as a human being is actually kind of unlikable. So at yeah. the end of the day, yeah. at the end of the day, you're actually kind of like, well, it, I actually, you know, I think a better ending to this film would have been she pulls him out of the toilet, she rescues him. And then he's like, oh, you know, I was wrong. I should have, you know, been more dedicated to you. And then she's just like, nope, sorry. We're, we're still <laughs> done. I mean, I did rescue right. you from metaphysical nothingness, but we're still done. I'm still taking the she visits. She visits the janitor that he beat up in the hospital. They start talking, <laughs> find out they have a lot in common. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I kind of I kind of would have uh, appreciated okay. I that. I guarantee when they remake this movie and mark my, here's my prediction, they will. Uh, the ending is going to be some ambiguous thing where it seems like everything's normal. We get some coda where they actually talk about it because they can't send the audience or dumb audi modern audiences home without some big explanation. But then we get a little twinkle in the eye or a little zippity doo dah to uh, that he, either he still has some of this in them or probably she does now because of the, they got transferred when she touched him and turned into oh. cracky lady mm. or, or or young Drew Barrymore, uh, you know, whatever show something, something, you know, we always have that ambiguous ending. Everything, every ending has got to be the end that turns into a question mark. Wow. Tired of that shit. It's, it's way, more shocking she, now. The, like the, the most shock ending now is when a movie <laughs> yes. ends. And and like wait wait that's it the killer doesn't come back to life and uh, yeah, okay right when when she when they touch hands that's actually one thing that really bothered me he's yeah. on the left hand side of the screen she's on the right hand side of the screen the action is she's running from the right he's on the left and they're reaching out towards each other and then they show their hands touch and it's her fucking hand coming from the left hand side and his hand yeah, from they the right it. and then they, they broke the one eighty rule yes that's crazy. yes because at first I'm like I'm like wait a second. I seem to remember her turning into the red thing. Wait, she did. Then what the fuck? Why? And I had to go back and watch it a couple times. It's like, no. Yeah, they touch hands. It's the hand on the left is the one that turns red, mm. and the other one's the blobby one. Oh, someone, and I someone was like, screwed up. That looks like a lady in a bodysuit. That's weird. <laughs> yeah. Wow. So, yeah. No, they messed that up. Jerks. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. Any Anything else on this, uh, the climax of this film or uh, the – the ultimate it's pretty movie. and it's it's one of my go-to scenes if i'm cutting together a um a party tape if i'm like doing music videos or you know some of the crazy ads we did for like the canuga parties and stuff uh, altered states is a go-to film there's just so many bits and pieces you can chop in and slap in um for just some background prettiness it's very and pretty it's, very and beautiful an, I, and 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 when he an pounds against scene. the wall and changes color that's just great that's really cool if you can find well, a song that goes scene. to that beat, it's even better. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to step on your joke. No, no, no. It's... Zach can cut it out. So, no, no, um... I'm going to leave it in because it's authentic. Uh, That's right, authentic. Patty Chavsky does all my dialogue. We should have recorded um... this episode as a Ken Russell <laughs> direction. Let me yeah. stuff some food in my mouth. Yeah. Um so next, if we ever do um, Naked Lunch, we should, like, chop up the podcast kind of like a William Burroughs. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I think oh. that's what we normally do anyway, at least. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, yeah, I'll chop it up so that I'll put it back in order so it actually makes sense. All the tangents will be at the end. And oh, no. Else will be very streamlined. <laughs> I want to do mass amounts of drugs for that one, too, apparently. Oh, yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and, and shoot our wife. Isn't that what they did? Didn't he shoot his oh, wife? Oh, jeez. Yes, he did. Yes. <laughs> that was his story. I mean, you know... It's got to be true. William Tell. 
It's got to be true because if you if you accidentally if you if you shot your wife on purpose, you would come up with a better story than I know this is going to sound nuts, but we were doing this William Tell thing, and I thought I could shoot the shot glass over. Turns out I'm not that good a shot, <laughs> or maybe I'm a great shot. It really depends on how you look at it. Wow. Oh, yeah. oh God. Jeez. All right. Well, on that on that positive note, do we want to do we want to move on? <laughs> the or power we, of love. Yeah, the power of <laughs> the power of love. Uh, um, real quick, just a couple other things I wanted to mention before we move on to our other sections. A couple other uh, creatives behind the scenes that I, I did want to call out. So, uh, one one name I just wanted to call out because I actually recognized it in the in the credits. I thought it was kind of interesting. But uh, Stuart Baird was an associate producer on this movie, which I thought was kind of interesting because he was actually like a big time editor. Uh, I think he's primarily an editor by trade. Uh, he had edited movies, or he would go on to edit movies like Lethal Weapon, Lethal Weapon 2, Superman, The Omen, Die Hard 2, and Casino wow. Royale. That's the uh, 2006 version, not the uh, other one. But um, so, yeah. Demolition Man and Lady Hawk? Skyfall. Uh, and Lady Hawk, yeah, Skyfall. Yeah, he edited a ton of stuff. So it's kind of funny because he, he's like, he's so prolific. I actually recognized his name from editing. So I don't know. I thought that was just worthy of calling out. And then let's talk real quick about John uh, Corigliano's score for this movie. So he only scored three movies, but uh, I kind of really? wish he had done more. Yeah. I think he was actually like a composer or conductor. Uh, so like, uh, you know, outside of film. But uh, yeah, I love his score for this movie. Yeah. I think it's dead on. Yeah. yeah I had to I look. I had to look up. up the... Oh, good. Go ahead. <laughs> no, go. 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 We, we don't usually um, mention the music guy, uh, but I, I did. And I thought I thought the same thing. I thought he did great. I'm yeah, I, I, I wonder if it <laughs> limited him though, because you know it's so distinctive. And if you're looking for a more traditional score, and you hear this one, it's like, oh, that's not the guy for me. But he may he may well have been capable of doing John Williams type stuff. It's just that that would not have been appropriate for this film. This was this was a good choice. And again, I, I don't want to compare it to Dreamscape all the time. But Dreamscape they used a, a synthesizer score, which the composer argued was logical for the dream thing and everything. And it's like. Yeah, it's almost a cliche now. You know, synthesizers, it would have been too obvious for this. I like the the sound. I, you know, it's not something you're going to hum. You know, yeah, no one's going to yeah. be singing the theme song from Altered States. Uh, but Well, you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of, of the, 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 the music from the original Planet of the Apes. It oh, had a lot mm, of that dissonant. Yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, right. I had to look it up. I'm like, wait, no, that's Jerry Goldsmith. And right. this wasn't this. I was like, I was like, and I took a look. I'm like, holy shit, yeah, because it had that same kind of just that feel to it. I don't know if what is it dissonant. What do you what you know? Mm. I, I don't. I don't. I, me not smart enough. Me primal man. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Speaking <laughs> up about the because uh, I've been sitting in this tub and and dosing. Marinating. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, you're supposed in... to eat the mushrooms. Oh, Ooh, I was dang. soaking yeah. in them. I was, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, Paul, for our next episode, we'll we'll do uh, a, a mashup Ken Russell slash video game, and you you can you can sit in a in a tub full of uh, uh, breakfast cereal that you're eating. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Now that everyone star. has, yeah, everyone now that everyone has that uh, vision in their gagging head, um, and retching yeah. now. Yeah, <laughs> now yeah, I, I Ken, love the... Ken Russell's Blaster Master. <laughs> sorry uh i did yeah i loved his like the use of like strings it's i think you said dissonant paul which is 100 percent correct the the strings and like the uh the heavy like brass 
And it actually reminded me, uh, going back to a film I mentioned a little bit earlier, reminded me of Elliot Goldenthal's score for Alien 3, which I think no, not, no, not a single person in the world will know what I'm talking about. Mm. But it's a very like very haunting, very dark, very dissonant score. And uh, actually, kind of brilliant. Actually. Uh, Alien 3 yeah. came on TV the other day. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I so do you... remember that. Yeah. Okay. Alien oh, 3 good. is one of those movies where it has all the pieces necessary, yeah. but they just don't come together. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do an episode on that, which will be like 20 hours long. Cause the uh, right, right. movies that with a lot of history, um, I, by the way, before we move on, I just looked it up. Uh, apparently John Corigliano, uh, won the 2001 Pulitzer Prize for music for his Symphony mm. Number no. Two for string orchestra. So I uh, didn't know there was a Pulitzer Prize for music. Wow. Yeah. Well, now you do, and uh, now you can go mm. find that on YouTube and listen to it. And oh, I was gonna say now good. I can go apply. That'd be great. Yeah, go apply. <laughs> you can nominate yourself. Uh, anyways, <laughs> moving <laughs> moving on. Our next section, which should be pretty short, legacy and franchise. Don't think this spawned any sequels that I'm aware of. I don't no. know. <laughs> okay. Nope. Uh, so, Bill, as the as the resident altered states expert, what do you think, <laughs> if any, is the legacy of this film? The, the legacy is that end sequence has been obviously with Aha used it in Take on Me, and now that's the actual legacy. People have I know Family Guy did a parody of it. And you know, I feel like that has been referenced a number of times, but people aren't really ref. Well, they they don't think they're referencing Altered States. They're referencing Take on Me, that was seen by way more people than saw Altered States. But you know, you know, still even even if it's the the uh, homage that that takes control, you know, ultimately it's got to go back to the original. Yeah, so it's kind um, of one of those. It's, it's, yeah. it's a reference that's transcended the original. It's kind of kind of uh, back when we were talking about Thunderdome. It's kind of similar where people still still use that reference, but I don't think a lot of people have seen that movie. So sure, and and you know, I, after the death of William Hurt, um, I, I was it was interesting to see uh, how often this one got brought up because I didn't think it was really that well remembered. You know, most people probably were more. I'm sure more people today remember him from his brief appearances in some marvel movies as thunderbolt ross uh the hulk's nemesis it didn't really it wasn't really used all that much in the movies to any great degree but he was in them yeah maybe he, he was still, in the he still nailed it yeah yeah you know he's as he got as he got old i mean really when you talk about his his legacy there were some great movies early on i mean early on he was he was firing on all cylinders uh uh, what was the the Spider Queen? Um, Kiss of the Spider Woman. Kiss of, Kiss Spider of the Spider Woman. Woman. Yeah, I mean that was some good. And broadcast news. You know he could do he could do body comedy. Heat. He could do drama. Body Heat. Let's not yeah. forget Body Heat. He really Kathleen he really Turner. was doing well, and uh, you know, but he never kind of kind of like Harrison Ford, one of those one of those guys who didn't seem a hundred percent comfortable with fame, and less so than Harrison Ford didn't handle it well. And, and, you know, fell into some destructive behavior. And later on, you know, they tried, you know, tried to do some pop stuff with like that dreadful Lost in Space movie where, <laughs> you know, you're watching it and you can almost just see the look of despair on his face. He's kind of got that, that Galaxy Quest uh, Alan Rickman thing going, how did it come to this? You know? <laughs> yeah. Which is, by the way, probably their first movie I actually saw him in. As the dad in that, yeah, the 
So, um, yeah, I, I, I guess we're, we're off. <laughs> we're off talking about his legacy instead of the movie, because obviously right. we really have one. Um, I will say, I think uh, I always have to mention this because I think it's one of the greatest moments in film history. Uh, do you guys remember him in the history of violence at all? You guys remember that movie at all? Oh boy. I remember the I movie, but I don't necessarily remember. Yeah. Though. Okay. Well, I just I just love that movie so much. Uh, it's you know l- later David Cronenberg where he got away from like horror, right. but he was still a you know he's still a phenomenal filmmaker. But there's a scene where like uh, he has like uh, Viggo Mortensen's character. He's like or uh, he's like kidnapped him or something, and the guys that are holding him like v- Viggo Mortensen is like tied to a chair, but he still like gets away and like I think he beats up or kills the guys and he gets away and then hmm. William Hurt comes in and he just like looks around and he looks at the guys and he looks at the chair and he just says how do you fuck that up <laughs> and he just keeps repeating it's like how do you fuck that up and I don't know it's a it's a great you know the, the greatest sign of a, a true uh, a truly great actor is someone who just take one line and make it that memorable hmm. but anyways uh, so yeah the uh, no sequels, no remakes uh, so far, uh, much to Bill's delight, but we will we will see what the future holds. I mm. uh, did want to mention the uh, couple of reviews just uh, from when the movie came out, because I did mention at the top, I think it got kind of mixed reviews. I think, uh, I think they were kind of skewed positive, uh, but a couple of tidbits I just wanted to pull out here. Uh, negative review from Pauline Kale uh, in The New Yorker at the time call this uh, an aggressively silly head horror movie the result of the misalliance of two wildly different hyperbolic talents the director ken russell and the writer patty chayeski which is you know actually i think pretty fair um but i actually thought this was kind of interesting a review that i this this uh this quote i think actually kind of sums up my opinion uh, this is from uh, one uh, Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times. It says, Altered States is a superbly silly movie, a magnificent entertainment, and a clever and brilliant machine for making us feel awe, fear, and humor. That is enough. It's pure movie and very little meaning. Did I like it? Yeah, I guess I did, but I wouldn't advise trying to think about it very deeply. So, <laughs> Who that was, was that? Actually, uh, that was Robert, Roger Ebert. Uh, that's that's a pretty good review. Yeah, yeah. So always kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, Ebert's take. Roger on... Roger Ebert. You know, I mean, he could be a pretentious, pretentious twit, but yeah. he when he when he wasn't being a grumpy guy, uh, he he did have he did have the ability to appreciate stuff that other critics would just instantly dismiss as trash. Right. Well, this was yeah, and he wrote also... Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. So I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah, this was also earlier. This wasn't like late stage Robert Ebert, uh, Roger Ebert. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, anyways, let's move on. Speaking of reviews, oh by the way, he gave that one three and a half stars, which I believe was out of five. So, okay. uh, speaking of speaking of reviews and ratings, uh, I think maybe it's time to move on to our final section of the night, which is rantings and ratings, where we kind of give our final thoughts. We we kind of go off on this movie and we're going to give it a rating as always out of five not stars but vhs tapes because we are in the video store here so i'm gonna go with renee first renee tell us give us your final thoughts on altered states all right i really enjoyed altered states i thought it was wacky i thought it was fun i thought it just had just all sorts of crazy stuff going on that it was just really interesting and um, super entertaining. And I like to 
base my ratings a lot of times on like the entertainment value of something and if I'll watch it again. Um, and this definitely is something that I was entertained by. Like you said, the scene with the, with like the monkey man, that was, it really was like, you just couldn't look away from it. Cause it was just like, what's happening. This is, this is so crazy and great. Um, I just, I found it very enjoyable and I thought it was a lot of fun. And, um, I will give it a four. Uh, I just thought it was different. Um, I really enjoyed it a lot. Oh, and one thing that I uh, did, did not come up, which I heard, is that Altered States had originally started off as a screenplay, and when he brought it to the people, they told him to turn it into a novel <laughs> so that they could subsequently adapt the novel into the movie. Yes, you're absolutely right. I, I'd forgotten all about that, but that's absolutely true. So I think that you that interesting? should do that. <laughs> Your yeah. next novel idea, just turn it yeah. into a screenplay, bring it to other people, well, and then they'll tell you to turn it into a book. That's literally the exact opposite of what I do. Pretty much all the <laughs> books I've written, except for the one that I'm actually writing now, start out as screenplays. And then once I realize the likelihood of this ever getting made is approaching zero, but I, I like the characters, I like the story, then it's like, well, what else can you do with it? Turn it into a book. So that's it's. I don't know any other instance where this is that's uh, I, true i think i can actually you wrote think a book one. I, I, think, I, I think i can actually think of one if i remember correctly i think cormac mccarthy originally wrote oh. no country for old men as a script and then oh. i guess he couldn't get it produced if i'm remembering correctly then he wrote the book and then the cohen's made the movie which is actually like one of the most faithful adaptations in history so that's interesting. that's great nice that's that's a cool way to do it because then if, if the book hits and they're like this would make a great movie how, yeah. how long do we take it to write a script? It's yeah. like, oh, you know, if I work really hard, I think maybe I can get it out by next weekend. You're like, wow, you must be some kind of genius. Yeah, yeah. I guess. If you pay me a lot, I'll really yeah. If you yeah, yeah, throw in a bonus for uh, right, yeah, throw in a bonus, and I guarantee we'll get it done by the end of this month. Yeah, cool. You just well, get yourself a coffee and laugh. I'm gonna actually, I'm actually gonna go next because uh, then we can get to the uh, the the altered state uh, diehards here. But um, so yeah, I think uh, I think Renee, I think kind of kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, it's a fun movie. After seeing it for the first time, it was definitely a movie where I'm like, I, I'm probably gonna rewatch this at some point just to kind of pick up on the things that I missed and kind of think a little more about it. Um, I was kind of going back and forth with this because I think that my like my my final analysis on the movie as a whole is you know how entertaining. It, how entertaining it was but then kind of contrasting that against oh man i really hate that ending i don't know i just <laughs> it's kind of kind of a pet peeve of mine because i think that i feel like you know here's the thing human relationships are complicated they're messy there's you know mm -hmm. they they often take a lot of time to understand and i just feel like it's very cliche to just assume that you know they're two characters that are together must love each other and eventually they'll learn to love each other i don't know i just feel like it's it's something that so many writers just kind of struggle with and maybe it's because it's so hard to kind of capture the complications of re those relationships in a you know a two-hour movie but either way so it's pet peeve i was i was actually struggling i was going back and forth i had to knock the score down just a little bit just for that but I am going to give this one a 3.75 because I think that it is it is borderline classic. Yeah, 3 
So I think this is right between the, usually like a 3.5 for me is a movie that's like super entertaining and, you know, rewatchable. And then four is like borderline classic. So I'm going to put it like right smack dab in between those. Cause I do think it's a great movie. I think it, uh, it warrants rewatching you know, Hey, I, I felt like it, it definitely warranted this discussion. So if anything, mm-hmm. uh, that says something. So let's go next to, uh, the man who is currently absorbing, uh, the, the, uh, <laughs> The water that he's been brewing in for the last three hours. He's currently steeping. Mushrooms. Yeah, he's almost he's almost uh, he's almost ready to pour out here. Uh, Paul, what 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 would you give this movie? So I, I I you know I enjoyed it when I saw it the first time. I enjoyed it now. Though again, like the difference is, you know, when, the difference is like thinking Jessup is a, a turd, but that doesn't really take away from my enjoyment of the film. It just makes it so I kind of see it through a, a different lens. And, uh, yeah, I, I like it. It's fun. I love, I, again, I'm, I've got a soft spot for Ken Russell and his, his just general weird Ken Russell-iness. Um, I, I love, I mean, you know, so Pauline Kael kind of, not to go against Pauline Kael, but, you know, hey, um, she said that the problem was you had these two disparate voices and styles. But I think that's what makes this work. I mean, I think, yeah, if, if, if you just shot Patty Chayefsky's, script this would have been so dull as dishwasher if you had shut it the way he wanted but instead you got ken russell coming in and fucking with it and 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 making it feel real and it, it just works really well i thought so it's it's fun it's enjoyable you know yeah the relationships are a little weird it doesn't kind of there you kind of sit there and go well, let's not look too closely at that just like we're not trying to look too closely at the meaning but it's fun because it does stimulate dialogue like you said um, I think different people can take different things from it, which I think is kind of fun. So, I mean, I give it a, I give it a good solid four. I mean, it's enjoyable. I'd watch it again. I'm surprised I hadn't watched it in as long as I did. So, yep, there you go. Four out of five mushroom-steeped videotapes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you can return those. I think you're going to have to pay a fine. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah, so let's go to, uh, let's go to our final uh, member here, Bill. Uh, why why was this movie worth doing a whole episode on? You know, I, I'm having a hard time thinking because all I can focus on is what it must look like in Paul's bathtub. <laughs> I don't think I'm good. talking out of school here. I, you know, Paul's a hairy guy. <laughs> I mean, I'm guessing I'm guessing when he takes a shower, he's got at least four or five times kick the drain thing to move that huge mat of hair so the water drains out. You know, less than an hour. So what what must it look like? It's got to look like the top of that psychedelic soup with that black <laughs> scum floating on there. You got to move away with the spoon to try. Uh, yeah. Did you want to drink my bath water bill? No. Oh no. I, 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 I'm, I'm paralyzed with fear that you're just going to like, let it drain out. It's going to get into the water supply. It's like, you know, it's like hearing that Willie Nelson was washing his hair in the reservoir. You just want to swear off water for the rest of your life. I'm bottling uh, it and selling it on the internet. Yeah. So Ven Venmo me twenty nine ninety five plus shipping. <laughs> Ooh. Okay, so four out of five. I'm I'm gonna go with the flow here. I mean, it's it's far from a perfect movie, but it's a fun movie. It's it's a movie of its time. You've got a visionary director doing something that he is not super. You know, he came in as a hired gun. But he definitely made it a Ken Russell movie. There is no question. When you watch this, it's like, yeah, that's a Ken Russell movie. Doesn't sound like Ken Russell dialogue, but that's okay. Um, just unique. Great effects. 
good acting. Yeah, it's it's now it's but it's silly. It's 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 ludicrous, but ludicrous in an intelligent way. I mean, I'm I'm tired of stupid, ludicrous movies, where characters do dumb things because they're they have to to advance the story. And you know, this one works for me. Is it is it? It's not close to perfect, like I said. And the ending is pretty trite. But you know, you're dealing with with really big questions here. And there's actually no way that you can come up with an ending that's satisfying because that would mean you'd have to answer these big questions. And these are questions for which there is no answer. It's it's strictly, you know, characters trying to come up with an answer. And the best you can come up with is love conquers all or, you know, many hands make light work. Whatever. I don't know. Just come up, come up with something, something simple and everyone goes home happy. So I, I love this movie a lot. Like It came at the right time for me. For some people, that's the Goonies, which I literally can't stand. Uh, but but I under but I understand. You saw it at the right time. I did not, and and if I could see people watching this movie and just like baffled that we spent any amount of time talking about this at all. But I don't know. I liked it. I'm glad to hear that those of you who hadn't didn't have this big emotional uh, history with it also got some enjoyment out of it. You never know with these things. Nostalgia. Whew. That really colors. A hell of a uh, drug. It's a hell of a drug. It really is. And uh, some things are best left in the fondness of your memory. So it's it's always a roll of the dice whenever we watch something that I'm, I remember liking a lot, but not having seen for some time because I've changed since then. Movies have changed since then. So good to see this one still holds up. And love Blair Brown. I, I like William Hurt in this movie. Uh, the more I read up on him, he apparently was not a good person in yeah. any in any yeah in any way, shape, or form. No no getting around it. I mean, yes, drugs and alcohol make you do things. That's still not an excuse. You know, lots of people have drug issues and they don't beat women. It's um, you know I just don't I, I don't get it. So. Uh, you know, some people were upset when he passed and, you know, that was in the obituaries. Well, okay, there's the lesson learned. You can, you can do a lot of great stuff and, and be really good at your craft and make a lot of memorable things. But there are some actions if you take that will be part of your legacy. If, uh, if that troubles you, don't make it part of your legacy. Get help. You know, you did it more than once. So anyway, but. I, I'm not one of those people who um, can't watch something just because the people involved were terrible people. If that were the case, I could never watch another uh, Klaus Kinski movie again, ever. And I just don't think that's fair to the other people who made the movie. And the fact that he was very good at what he did. He was a monster. And if there is a hell, he's burning in it now. And that's just, you know, I'll just take that say, as satisfaction. Yeah, not unlike his, uh, his visions uh, in uh, this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 So we'll it's see. Foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, yeah, but I'm but I'm glad y'all had a good time watching it. Yeah, it was a fun movie. I I do apologize because we almost had a perfect score on this one, but uh, I brought it down oh, a little man. bit. So it sounds Way like to go. Way yeah, to go! Once again, ruining everything. Our our <laughs> average here is going to be a hair under four. It's going to be a three point nine three seven five. If my math is correct. So, or if the Windows calculator math is correct. So, yeah, still uh, still pretty high up there in terms of all the movies we've covered. So, I think we are sobering up. I think we're coming down from our high on altered states. 
which uh, means it's, it's time to find a new drug of choice. And I'm going to do what I always love to do, which is just put people on the spot until we come up with something. We're doing this live. I'm not editing this out. Renee, what movie are we going to cover next? Oh, I hate you so much. Um, <laughs> oh, shit. Um, well, guys, I think it's time that we just buckle down and watch Robert. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> oh, <God>. um, <laughs> All right. I'm oh, down for that. On. Before you switch uh, oh. to somebody else. I was going to move um, to Paul, but he just seconded that. So, uh, yeah, Bill, yeah. Well, well, either that or Sallow. I mean, uh, you know. Oh, oh God. man. <laughs> Someone save us. So maybe, maybe before, I know that we have a lot of movies that I think we've all kind of agreed upon that are going to kind of take us down another rabbit hole maybe of some series so maybe i'll just take a quick segue and we can talk about the movie them you have to oh yell it there's an exclamation them. Point. Them. <laughs> nice well yeah i'm looking yeah. forward to that one this is uh i believe the 1954 uh giant ant movie uh, i don't know who it stars oh, or yes else, it is now it, but what yep oh is that, yep. that that not the movie you were talking about is that not the movie I was talking about? Oh, <laughs> was it? You were really. T- I thought you were talking about that one. Oh, you know what I was ta- <laughs> were you talking. We're talking about actually, they no, live. Let's, let's do cover them. Uh, what movie was I? We're talking, talking about, about they live. <laughs> no. Oh, uh, were you talking? I was talking uh, about, totally talking about the thing. Oh, um, oh. Not, we should do them with exclamation <laughs> well, let's, point. Let's do the thing first because I I have a well, feeling. Well, which thing? Well, uh, or, the oh. thing. Well, here's the question. Or are we doing our redemption? Here's Let's the qu- do, yeah. yeah, remake redemption is that's a great one because they're was, both classics. Was that a good format? Okay, well, join us yeah. in uh, Renee. Are you yeah. down for that? Your, is I your am pick, 100% so. down for that. You're okay. welcome, America. Well, I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to overrule you. It was your pick. Um, well, cool. We, we don't get to see James Whitmore get eaten by giant ants. Well, we can. <laughs> Not yet. We, can, we will. We can definitely we'll do that at that. some point. Yeah. We'll definitely oh, do but you know what's interesting? I didn't realize. You know who's in them? James Arness, who is also in the thing. He's not just in the thing; he is He's the thing. The thing. Yep. Dun, da, da, dun, yeah. Da, da, da. So yeah, join us in two weeks when we're gonna be discussing what's what's the is it the thing from another world? That's the full title of the original, yeah, right? Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know what year that came out, and uh, but uh, join yeah, join us for whatever year that came 49, out. Forty nine, but I'm not sure. Forty nine. Uh, the I'm, thing I'm, from I'm another just world. From throwing that. Yeah. 51. 51. 50, there you go. 1951's enough. The Thing from Another World and 1982's John Carpenter's The Thing. And uh we're going to yeah, we're going to be doing the remake redemption format here where we talk about both of these movies and uh you know, we're going to we're going to pass judgment on one of the most beloved horror films of all time. So join us. Hey, you know, you never know what's going to happen. And, and we may briefly mention the uh second uh, remake of the thing, and we'll mention it just as long as it takes to say save your time and don't watch it. God yeah. damn it! Yeah, and I think it's a great balance after talking about well, William Hurt that we can talk about Kurt Russell because he seems to be like a pretty decent. Dude. Oh yeah, that's true. Oh yeah, that's but true. then we're gonna also have to yeah. mention that it's based on a story by John Campbell, who was a piece of shit. So <laughs> well, they, we can't win. You know, every, we can't win. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, te- now technically the technically the other movie is a prequel, but if for yeah, for all intents and purposes it's really yeah, I know exactly. Anyways, yeah. uh yeah, so join us for that conversation. We're going to be talking about both those movies. We're going to be uh kind of dissecting the uh the sequel or the original and the remake rather. And uh we're going to be we're going to be telling you whether or not John Carpenter's remake was actually warranted. 
uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> it probably is, <laughs> but yeah. you know, hey, maybe we'll change our minds. So yeah, join us for that conversation and join us for all the other episodes that you may have missed if this is your first time listening or if you haven't heard some of our previous content. You can always find us wherever you're currently listening to this podcast or you can go to videostorejunkies.com. You can find links to us on every platform known to man, including a bunch of obscure ones. And uh, I think we're we're on the second largest podcast uh, platform in India now. So yeah, if you're if you're Whoa. listening to us, yeah, if you're listening to us from India, uh, thank you for listening and please like and subscribe to our podcast and please give us a nice big five-star review that would help us out immensely and yeah I, I think that's all i have to say oh yeah we should probably go down the line here real quick paul <laughs> i'm not even gonna you're, people can find i would say people can find you in your bathtub but that's on your only fans and we're told that we're not allowed to promote that that's um, true R- renee is there, is there somewhere else people can find you when you're not on this podcast actually they can surprisingly uh people can find me over at cult of the cathode ray where I am planted uh, in a pupil and watching a television, religiously. Get it? Religiously? <laughs> Sorry. Okay. That's it. Nice. Cult Sounds like fun. What, what, sh- what show are you talking about on that podcast right now? We are talking about The Walking Dead. Oh, good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah All right, I'm going to have to tune in and find out what you think about The, the Walking Dead. Uh, Bill, a man who never sleeps, as far as I can tell, mm-hmm. where else can people find you? You, you want to hear something funny? I literally found out today that I'm at a I'm going to be at a convention next weekend. Stop it! Oh, great! <laughs> I, I mean, I'm at, I'm doing panels at the convention. Somehow, some some signals got crossed, and I was either was never informed about that, or I was and have no record of it. Either possibility is definitely possible. Well, this episode will be out. Uh, yeah. after that but tell us what That's, convention did you go to just out of uh, it, it, this is called fantasy it's in durham so luckily okay. it doesn't require i get a hotel room or anything it's just like okay just gotta nice. drive down there thank god they inquired if i wanted to be on another panel so that i was able to discover <laughs> that i was on any panels um other than that you know convention season starting to kick up which is cool and folks I, I think there'll be time for this one RavenCon is coming up it's a great convention and like all conventions, they have had a rough two years. Mm-hmm. And if you have any, if you have any fondness for any local conventions in your area, and you're thinking, "Eh, do I want to?" If you can make the effort, because a lot of them are struggling. It's it's been a rough two years. These things usually don't operate on a tremendous profit, if any. And every time one had to be canceled, they swallowed some money there, and the, the coffers are pro- probably dry for a lot of them. So this year may be a make or break for some so i would ask everyone if you, if you if you like those things buy a ticket whether you show up or not buy a ticket and it's it's a you know I'd like to bring them all back because otherwise it's probably going to be a pretty lean few years except for the big ones that are soulless and just autograph uh, mills you know <laughs> if, you, if you like those things support them that's probably true for a lot of things there as we move out of the pandemic if there's a god in heaven we're moving out of the pandemic and not going back but we'll see. We'll see. Um, any decades of horror uh, from gruesomemagazine.com. We do the 70s, the 80s, and uh, we've got a few good ones coming up. Well, and then we've also got Howling 2 coming up. So, yeah, some good ones, and we got Howling 2. <laughs> Your sister is a werewolf. Your sister is a werewolf. 
Oh boy. Uh, oh, oh boy. Really? Yeah. The, the, the movie, the movie that made, um, who, who's, who's the, uh, oh God, who's the actress in that? Um, oh, dang it. Sybil Danning movie that made Sybil Danning ashamed of her nude scene. <laughs> that takes, <laughs> that takes some effort. Um, but anyway, yeah, I'll be there. And anytime we, we do these podcasts, always, I always enjoy talking with you guys. It's a good thing too. Cause we talk for like three hours. Yeah. yeah. God. Better, yeah. better enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You gotta either enjoy it or get paid for it. And God knows not, yeah, none of us yeah, are getting yeah. paid. So yeah. <laughs> so I think that wraps it up. I think that's it. That is all of our coverage on altered states. So I don't know about you guys, but uh, I got, I'm going to go crawl into my uh, isolation chamber, my sensory <laughs> deprivation chamber, and uh, kind of take a nap because this podcast has taken a lot out of me. So good night, everyone. Mm-hmm. Thank you for listening. Be safe. Go to some conventions. Be safe at those conventions, but go to some local conventions. Go uh, go out into the world and support your, your local whatevers. And, uh, yeah, have a great night. Night, everybody. Night. During these blackout periods, as you get the feeling of phenomenal acceleration, like you're being shot out over millions, billions of years, time simply obliterates. I'm asking you to put the experiment off until we understand a little more in order to minimize the risk. I'm really frightened. What the hell was that? We could be screwing around with this whole genetic structure now. How do we stop this? Millions of years stored away in that computer bank we call our minds. We have got trillions of dormant genes in us, our whole evolutionary past. Perhaps I've tapped into that. I'm a professor of endocrinology at <laughs> Harvard Medical School. I'm an attending physician at the Peter Bent Brigham Hospital. And I'm not going to listen to any more of your bumbo jumbo. I'm going to show you so many Because I believe it, I want this thing stopped. The most terrifying experiment in the history of science is out of control.